2: What's up Gypsy Gang, we are back for another episode of the Gypsy Tales podcast and it is with the newest member of the Red Bull family, Carson Brown. Seems like his life's work of building, riding and racing every type of motorcycle known to man is finally starting to pay off. Carson was an obsessive amateur and came up through the team green ranks before burning himself out at the beginning of his professional career. Since then, Carson was forced to walk an unconventional path to achieving one of sp- the sport's most iconic deals, a Red Bull helmet. With Carson Brown being one of the main protagonists in this weekend's $25,000 two-stroke race within a race at the Washougal National, there was no better time to bring him in for a chat. Thank you guys so much for supporting the podcast. Before we get into it, a quick word from some of our sponsors. But before we get into this podcast, we have some breaking news manscaped now offers beard products and they are available in your country that's right they are once again revolutionizing men's grooming with a brand new beard hedger pro kit from a beard trim to a fresh shave the technology behind the beard hedger pro kit allows you to shape your signature beard look like never before Now you can finally use Manscaped products to make your drapes match your carpet by going to manscaped.com and using the code GypsyGang for 20% off plus free shipping. Now this product is one that I've been waiting for and I low-key think it was made just for me. It's time to tame your mane so say goodbye to all your stubble trouble with Manscaped's new Beard Hedger Pro Kit. It all starts with the Beard Hedger. First off, this cordless trimmer has a rotary wheel that gives you 20 hair cutting lengths, all with one guard, so no more messy drawers full of extra add-ons. The titanium coated T-Blade is tough enough on hair but smooth on your face, leading to single stroke efficiency that brings satisfaction one stroke at a time. The Pro Kit doesn't end there though. They have created four dermatologist-tested formulations for your post-trim care. First, there is the beard shampoo and conditioner. You need to remember all your hair is different. Your beard hair is more coarse and easier to damage than the hair on your head. That's why the kit has made shampoo and conditioner specially designed to moisturize, reduce ingrown hairs, replace natural oils, and promote beard health. Next, the kit has Manscaped's Beard Oil. This helps relieve dryness both in the beard and in the skin beneath while adding a little shimmer and shine. Cap off the Beard Kit with the Beard Balm, a pomade that shapes, styles, moisturizes, and tames for a sculpted look to attract any fellows or dames. The Beard Pro Kit also comes with three free gifts, a beard brush, comb, and scissors to ensure your beard is always ready to impress. So get 20% off and free shipping with the code gypsygang at manscaped.com that's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code gypsygang manscaped beard hedger one stroke one guard 20 links now i have been leaning on ag1 more than ever to keep me in as good a shape as i can with our hectic life has been lately. In the last couple of months, I've racked up nearly 100 hours of international flight time. I've been running a bunch. I've been putting in my motos for world vets, and I truly believe that this whole process would be a lot harder on my body if it wasn't for the daily habit of taking AG1 as soon as I wake up each morning. Normally, by this point of the year, with all the physical work, the mental work, and the travel I have to do, I would have been sick at least once or twice, but this year I've managed to stay away from all those nasty winter bugs and the stuff that you get from planes and airports. AG1 is as good as it gets when it comes to an all-in-one nutritional supplement and is pound-for-pound one of the most impactful things you can do for your overall health in under one minute. Every scoop of AG1 is packed with 75 vitamins, minerals, probiotics, and whole food sourced ingredients. And as far as the benefits that I feel from using AG1 on a consistent basis, well, I feel like it helps my digestion first and foremost. I don't feel as bloated as I used to after eating, and I've also noticed that I don't seem to be reaching for a second coffee of a morning the way that I used to. While all these benefits personally are great, I also love the fact that I get to be partnered with a brand that I truly enjoy using and has also benefited a bunch of the Gypsy gang who have gone to drinkag1.com slash GypsyTales and, <clears throat> and ordered some of their own. If you want to take ownership of your health, try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash GypsyTales. That's drinkag1.com slash GypsyTales. Check it out. We're also brought to you by the team at Tropical Auto Group, and if you're in the market for a new or used vehicle, then you cannot buy anything without picking up the phone and calling Kyle. He has been keeping us moving for the past three years and countless other members of the Gypsy Gang. Tropical Auto Group in Rockhampton stock Ford, Mitzi, Kia, Isuzu, and Great Wall. And For the last 12 months, we have been wheeling the all-new D-Max. If you're looking for a ute for work and play, I can't recommend that rig enough. We've driven it from Melbourne to Cape York and it's safe to say she's passed the test. It's tax time right now, so make sure you head to tropicalauto.com and ask for Kyle, and you'll get a $500 gift voucher at MX Store with the purchase of a new or used car. We also need to give a shout-out to Dry Times. Dry Times may have created the perfect towel with their quick-drying, odor-free, and super-absorbent towel. It also takes up a fraction of the space of a traditional towel, they make towels for the gym, the beach, and even ponchos for post-surf. To find out more about this perfect towel, head to drytimes.com or check them out on Instagram at drytimes. And strike while the iron's hot with their end of financial year sale right now at drytimes.com. They have 20% off store-wide. The team at Dixon Flannel are also having their end of financial year sale and we're neck deep in winter right now in the Southern Hemisphere, so there has never been a better time to get into a fresh and crispy Dixon. These flannels have been solid in my rotation for years now and it's very rare that I go anywhere without one. Take advantage of this epic sale by heading to dixonquality.com.au. Alright, that's it from me and the ads. Uh, we also have our membership platform, gypsytails.com, where you can go and sign up for access to these podcasts early. So, yeah, if you want to get exclusive content, if you want to get the podcast early, head to gypsytales.com. But that's it from me. Enjoy this episode. From the gang called... Gang
3: I at a gypsy. G'day, mate. Hey, how's it going?
2: Yeah, good. Sorry about that. I'm uh, I'm in here by myself today. With the boys, we're we're doing some filming up at uh, at Jack Miller's place. And um, oh yeah, yeah. So they've gone up there. So I'm just in the office by myself. So I was trying to figure it all. Out. <laughs> figure Hey, yeah, you're all making out. it happen. <laughs> oh, that's it. How you doing, bro?
3: I'm doing good, man. I'm stoked to be here. Thanks for having me on.
2: Yeah, no, it was super cool when uh oh bring bring that mic a little bit closer. You can like kinda of manipulate it to however you want. You can even like flatten this bit out and twist it and get it to where you need to get it. There you How's go. How's that looking? And then yeah. Yeah, yeah. Sweet. Um yeah, as soon as you signed the the Red Bull deal, I was like, okay, that's this is probably a pretty sweet time to to get you on the podcast and then then with motorsport and uh, the whole washugal thing coming up, and moto memes thrown down the way that he has, I was like, you know what? It's probably a probably a pretty pretty good time to to get in and do the potty. So I'm stoked that you, yeah,
3: yeah, absolutely, man. I'm uh, I'm stoked that washugal race is gonna be sick. It's uh, a bunch of dudes on two strokes. It'll be awesome. So did we met
2: last year at Ozax? Uh, sorry, at World Supercross in Australia, didn't we?
3: yeah yeah so I saw you there I wasn't able to talk to you uh too much but uh yeah we met there so that was that was cool yeah okay yeah no I I, I was like when was the last
2: time we saw each other but I think it was then so but uh yeah man so everything's everything's going good new new Red Bull deal that had to be something pretty exciting I feel like that's probably one of like the pinnacles in our kind of world I guess
3: yeah, absolutely. Uh Red Bull deal coming through and uh super super stoked. It's a it's a quite a bit of different program um for me than I've been the last few years, you know. I uh I'd been in Supercross and all that and uh you know, still doing a bunch of social media stuff with vintage bikes, pit bikes, a little bit of it all. So I was uh yeah, we did Red Bull Straight Rhythm and just just a bunch of weird races, like you said. We were at some of the uh, WSXs and all that kind of yep. stuff. And the Red Bull guys kind of uh, you know reached out. They're like, "Hey, I, we think it's cool that you're doing a bunch of uh, different types of races on different types of bikes." And uh, yeah, it uh, worked out nice. Yeah, when
2: I saw the deal get announced, I, immediately it just made sense to me. I was like, "Dude, okay, yeah, this is this is right," you know. And I think that. It's funny, I don't know if you've experienced it, but when it feels like whenever someone gets a Red Bull helmet, there's like a bunch of people that are like, wow, that's so sick. And then no matter who it is or what you've done, a bunch of people that go like, how the hell did you get that helmet? Like, dude, Hunter, <laughs> the Berriman. So there's like this, there's, I think, a vision that Red Bull has for athletes that are much bigger than where they are at the time. Um, they get signed, but when I saw that you got the deal, I was like, man, this makes perfect sense. You're to me, you're kind of becoming almost like the Danny McCaskill of Moto in a sense, you know, And I think that we've got Berriman on, in the Red Bull landscape, you know, you've got Berriman that's doing his thing on the free ride imagination. like he's taking it to a crazy level there. And then I think with you, it's a similar vibe, but just in the opposite direction, you know, like riding every type of bike, like, you know, doing these unique builds and you've got such a unassuming cool style. So I'm really excited for not, you know, just where you're going to be able to take this in the future
3: yeah super stoked um, like like you said there's so many different aspects to it that we're kind of doing with the bike builds and all sorts of different bikes and um, you know the, the different events and it's not just about you know doing supercross and and all that there's such a following on social media for you know all this different stuff like you said tyler barryman's so gnarly man um doing all those huge jumps and uh you know danny mccaskill like you were saying like there's there's so much um cool stuff to be shown that um you know there's so much potential in this sport that hasn't been shown yet and i want to help you know show it
2: yeah and i think the the social media thing's interesting too because like you get sent to me a lot like anytime you're you know like the rm80 video the 150 video like you have a a really good habit of being able to go viral and the people that are sending me your videos are people not in moto you know it's like there's people from different sports different motorsports. there's like you know downhill mountain bike guys there's you're kind of touching a a much wider audience than moto as well and i think that like maybe the traditional um motocross and supercross fan might not even have perspective of like the kind of reach that that some of those clips can get you know
3: yeah absolutely um yeah like you were saying like it's not just one crowd watching um you know i've got kind of all age ranges watching it because I'm doing anything from a Z50 to a 450. Um, so it's kind of cool that it's not just one section of the motocross community kind of watching this thing. We're trying to, you know, build this thing so that everybody's involved. And I, I just want to show the love of riding dirt bikes. You don't have to be on, you know, a new 450 to have fun on a bike. You can have just as much fun on anything you got. And I've en- I've enjoyed trying to show that. And, um, yeah, I'm having a blast along the way doing it, too
2: yeah dude. I mean that's the that's the vibe, you know It's like just pull this thing out of a shed, make sure it's got some oil, the tire pressures are done, and there's some gas in that bitch and let's go, you know. And, and I think that that's such a that's such a vibe to kind of capture and, and like I said, it sort of spreads even further than just like the general moto community too. Um, and I think that yeah, when you're working with a brand like Red Bull, then that's kind of what they're chasing you know
3: yeah absolutely and some of the projects that they've got coming up um too you know just uh you know riding all sorts of these bikes and at sick locations with sick dudes and all that stuff um it's really gonna get ramped up because this is just the start of it like uh you know we signed that deal pretty recently so um you know, coming come in this next little while here, I think uh, everybody's going to be surprised on some cool stuff that we have in the works.
2: Yeah, that's awesome. So how does a Red Bull deal come apart? Like from start to finish, when do you start thinking that you could get a Red Bull deal? How does the ball get rolling? How did you find out? I mean, because it feels, it, it always feels like there's a pretty cool story that, that comes along with something like that.
3: Yeah, for sure. I mean, ever since I was a kid, that's always the dream. I mean, it's uh, it's everybody's dream. So, I uh I I kind of knew that I was taking a different route than most guys, you know, just doing the racing in, you know, just Supercross or just motocross or whatever the cases. Um so I knew that there was uh you know, a a good thing going for me doing a little bit of everything on all these different bikes and I had I had uh You know talked to some people before and they're like oh you know Red Bull reaches out to you you don't reach out to to Red Bull and you know if you want to be on Red Bull typically you got to be on a team you know like Red Bull KTM or something like that and uh you know that was kind of uh you know I I knew there could be something there if somebody could see the worth of this social media stuff and um basically I did the red the Red Bull straight rhythm this year and I had uh some of the phone numbers from you know getting invited and contacted and some of that and I was I was I was hitting them I was like you know like you know what what do I got to do to make this uh to make this thing work and like like I was just saying they're like you know you got to be on a team you got to do this and that um you know in order to kind of be under our uh you know Red Bull stuff and then uh, a couple months later they're like you know let's hop on a call I think uh, you might have some value doing a little bit of all this stuff so I was like hey I'm I'm ready.
2: (laughs) Dude it's so cool and and how did you feel when you actually got the phone call to find out that you were 100% like you're a Red Bull athlete now?
3: Oh I was stoked I mean we'd been talking um, you know at, at one point I thought that it was gonna get pushed through and signed in January of this year so that was a long time ago and then you know there, there's so much that goes into a Red Bull contract that um, it just kind of kept getting pushed and I I kept having all these teams ask me for Supercross and stuff they're like you know do you want to ride for our team like what's going on um, everybody on social media was just like yeah why aren't you racing Supercross why aren't you racing Supercross I couldn't, uh. couldn't, couldn't really tell them you know so um, you know it it took a little bit, but I was so stoked when, um, you know, I finally got the call that it, it all went through 100 um, percent because I was just like, man, if I if I don't do supercross this year and this doesn't come through, then, you know, it's going to be it's going to be a weird season for me. But, uh, yeah, I was super pumped. Everybody around was super pumped. I mean, the uh, the whole Northwest is, is back in this thing and helped me get to this point. So we're all pumped
2: that's awesome what did it feel like to put the red bull helmet on the first time and like i don't know does it feel different
3: yeah i mean those guys uh brought that thing over and the first time i saw it was uh at my house and i i pulled that thing out and i was like dude this has always been the dream and uh you know it's such such a crazy route to get to that point you know not not the traditional route um so it it was uh it was definitely an eye-opener on you know different uh different routes different courses to get to uh your goals in life
2: yeah I think that's super cool man to you know back yourself and and see something in you know what you're doing and to try and have a point of difference and it's it's very 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 hard to have that level of confidence and like what was it that I guess, made you want to walk that path and go maybe a little bit against the grain of your typical motocross and supercross rider?
3: Yeah. I mean, basically ever since I was a kid, I I wanted to be a supercross motocross racer. I mean, every, every kid that rides a dirt bike, that's their goal. And, uh, we, we, we were taking that route as, as much as we can. I mean, these last few years I've, I've done supercross, had some good finishes. I had a top five in there and everything, and I mean, to, to make money or make a living and to keep doing Supercross is super expensive if you're not on a factory team or, you know, not having some huge sponsors backing that thing. And, uh, you know, I knew all the sponsors love social media. Um, they kind of told me at a young age, like I, I used to hate social media when I was younger, like phones, all that stuff. But everybody's like. Dude, with the stuff that you're doing like on the daily, if you could just get that filmed and be posting yeah. it, like the sponsors are going to be stoked. And so basically my uh, my cousin Jensen, he he ended up just making me a uh, an Instagram account and uh, he was posting stuff on there for me. And then I kind of saw it was getting traction. I was like, man, like people really do dig all this weird stuff um yeah and so you know it, it was uh it was cool to get the sponsors kind of backing behind that and you know uh, racing is a huge part of it but the social media is also just massive to uh to get to that point so basically I was doing all the social media stuff in order to race supercross to get you know parts gear all that stuff everybody was stoked all around so um that's kind of how I started down that path
2: how much do you reckon it would cost to race Supercross on a 250?
3: You know, it's it's hard. If you're doing it fully on your own, um, to, to mod a bike, you know, is expensive. And then to keep mm. it running is expensive. And then you got to pay a mechanic. And then you got to pay for the practice tracks in California. Like it was 75 bucks a day to ride some of those practice tracks in California. And then the travel and just getting getting to the races putting it all together hotels flights all that stuff I mean it was ridiculous like I was making okay contingency um the years I was doing it but still just um pretty much losing money and it's it's a tough spot because a lot of guys are really you know grinding it out um you know with uh you know not not much in return and it's it's a passion like we we all love racing we all want to be out there i enjoy every single second of it but man it is hard to keep it rolling
2: yeah man like it it is super gnarly when you think about like even just the travel to do the races i mean i've spoke about it a bunch of times people probably sick of it but like to just be a filmer, <laughs> like that was what I did. Like I would go and film the races, and it was so gnarly. Like I was always sick and tired from being on the the planes and doing the flights and stuff. And that's essentially like a factory rider schedule, basically. But if you're like a Jeff Walker or any of those dudes, like a Duran Stapleton, or that's like driving themselves to the races, like a Tire Master Pool. I mean. It's just ruthless, man. Like, the level of commitment that you have to have to be one of those guys is pretty insane.
3: Oh, absolutely. I mean, you got to give those guys credit. Like, uh, I know Kevin Moran, he does a really good job, um, you know, kind of showing behind the scenes and what it takes and, you know, getting people to really back that thing. And it's cool to see, um, you know, the success that these guys are having, just like, uh, you know, Ty Masterpool, he's been having some killer rides outdoors this season. And, uh, you know, it's not easy to do that stuff on your own. And that's why it's even more incredible when these guys are getting the finishes that they are. And, uh, yeah, huge, huge respect to every single dude out there, especially the privateers, man.
2: Yeah. And so, what does this Red Bull deal do for you? Like, is there enough financial support there now to where it's like you don't have to worry about the, I guess, like the hustle to make as much money? Like, essentially, this can be like your full time job now. And now you just got to focus on writing creating content coming up with new ideas like is that kind of the freedom that something like this gives you
3: yeah absolutely I mean we're, we're able to ramp this thing up to a lot higher level now and uh You know the the industry seems to respect it quite a bit more so we'll be able to i mean i'll still be doing some supercrosses some some outdoors some some cool stuff like that but um i'm also going to be showing that you know we can we can have some fun while doing it and on some weird bikes and uh yeah, we're pretty much just going to ramp this thing up at a, at a larger scale and do some, I mean, amazing film stuff, um, cool races, just completely different stuff than the normal. And uh, I, I'm really excited for it. And, uh, you know, it's just just the start.
2: Yeah, dude. So have you been filming with Wes and those guys yet?
3: Yeah. So I've done a uh, a couple videos with Wes. He films that first uh, YouTube video with me in the Red Bull helmet. And then um, we're also working on a couple more projects right now um, that are yeah. in the works. So, um, yeah, su- super cool, dude. I mean, that that whole crew is uh, has been super fun to work with. I mean, they're super funny and they, they've done this forever. I mean, just like you. So it's uh, it's it's super cool to be working with, you know, high end professionals like that.
2: Yeah, man, I bet. No, I think that's like one of the cool things when you kind of get on the program with, with Red Bull and you kind of like, you get into that ecosystem. It comes with like Jeremy, Matson. you got like the Wes and his crew and you've got all those, like the machine that's around you, you know, like I, I'm sure you've got your own channel and your own Instagram and stuff, but I'm sure now you're just going to be plugged into this whole new network of people that can help you, you know, essentially, because like I can imagine that you've got so much stuff that's in your mind, and you've got so many ideas that the things that you want to do, and it's like I guess now that's just putting the pieces together to execute on those plans. You know?
3: Yeah, absolutely. These uh, the these things that you know didn't seem possible are all coming together now, and uh, I'm 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 super excited for you know not just the ideas that i have but what other what others are uh wanting to see happen and now it's got the potential to really blow this thing up and uh make it good not just you know being on the uh you know one bike grind of of supercross and all that which i mean i absolutely love but i uh i want to show my love for this sport all the way through and through
2: yeah man no no i definitely like i i you, you've got like spirit animal vibes you know like I think when people watch you they they see like a, a guy that's just can ride anything having fun on anything and and you know I think that level of of stoke and froth kind of like it's it's infectious in a way you know
3: yeah for sure I mean everybody is uh in a position where they they want to make whatever bike that they had you know cool yeah. for when when they were a kid and everything and I, I really enjoy just, uh, you know, in any size bike, like everybody's like, oh, you know, if I show up at a KDX on a KDX, you know, at my local trails, you know, people, people bag on them or whatever. And it's, uh, that's not how it should be. You know, those things are awesome. You know, XR 100s, they're awesome. Z 50s, they're awesome. Like every bike is sick. And, uh, you know, like, like I was kind of saying before, everybody, everybody thinks that you have to have a, a brand new bike and. Um, you know to to do anything or be cool or you know it's it's not about being cool it's about you know riding your dirt bike with your buddies and just having a blast with it and um, you know all the good times
2: yeah no nah, man I, I I honestly couldn't couldn't agree more who who are some of the people that you look up to when it comes to content and I guess where you want to kind of go
3: yeah, I mean, definitely, uh, Behrman, like you had mentioned, he's, he's gnarly. Um, pretty much any of those dudes, um, You know, really pumping out the content. Like Axel, he's, he's doing some cool stuff. Like he really found his, uh, his place in all this, you know, massive jumps, serious skills that he's showing. Um, yeah. I mean, Roxon, he's, he's done some really cool stuff. Like he's, he's not just showing the, uh, well, he's, he's showing his love of dirt bikes. I mean, he's out hitting jumps and, you know, he's doing WSX and supercross and, you know, I'm going to race a few outdoors. Um, that kind of stuff. So, that's really cool to see and um you know all all those dudes gnarly gnarly on a bike and it's cool that they're showing it because I mean there's so many guys out there with so much talent and all you see is them on the tv you know you don't know what they're doing behind the scenes during the week like how gnarly they yeah. are and all that so it's uh it's cool to see the ones that do and and what
2: about outside industry like is there some mountain bike guys that you kind of look up to or skaters or like because i feel like your your moto that's what you do but the way you do it is kind of more like uh, i mean the mountain bike stuff really comes to mind like the like fabio uh danny mccaskill like there's some guys in that lane that i feel like do what you do kind of
3: yeah, I mean Danny McCaskill, Carson Storch, um those mountain bike guys, it it's really cool to see, you know, the way that they've uh, you know, made their edits and everything cuz they're doing some gnarly stuff and not just, you know, competition things. So they're out there grinding away making these amazing courses and showing their uh their potential and and talent and you know, I really like watching all the uh mountain bike bicycle BMX stuff. Um I grew up doing that a little bit and uh a lot of that transfers over to pit bikes like the momentum and everything so i i do enjoy watching a bunch of the uh the bicycle stuff it's those guys are are gnarly because they gotta be precise i mean they're going massive and they don't got any power to uh to throttle out of (laughs) things when they it goes wrong
2: yeah yeah no i think uh yeah i guess i just i can see the impact that you can have in moto in in kind of like what those guys do in in the mountain bike world too
3: yeah. Oh, for sure. I mean, the uh, the mountain bike guys, there, there's so many different levels of that too. Like you got the Red Bull Rampage and then you've got yeah. the dudes just, you know, going through trails. But it, it's cool to see because those guys aren't afraid of mud. They aren't afraid of snow. They're, they're doing it no matter what. Um, and... Yeah, it it seems like the mountain bike world has done a bit better of a job of showing the social media side of things yeah. um, than like uh, you know most sports. So it's it's cool to see that.
2: Yeah, I think um, I always would think about that. Like when I when I filmed Dream Ride, the whole concept of that was like I want to do something that's more like a traditional action sport. I think that one of the things that Moto really missed and it's purely logistical is, is travel. Like, I mean, I'd go on surf trips. I'd go on mountain bike trips. I'd, I'd pack my bike and I'd fly with it. or I'd pack my surfboards and I'd fly with them. And like, you just couldn't really do that in moto. And that's what dream ride kind of was, was like, all right, how do we go to a destination, go to like a tropical paradise where it's like, that's a place where people want to go on holiday. And then it's like, you build something crazy there. And then for the second one in Hawaii, it was like the same, kind of vibe, you know, and I think that's probably why mountain bikers, surfing, snowboarding, why other action sports kind of went more towards that free ride sort of lane is just because it was so much easier to travel than with dirt bikes, you know, so I think that's why it's been a little bit of a slower build in into that direction.
3: Yeah, one one hundred percent. Like uh you know, you're seeing these snowboarders getting dropped off on the top of mountains with uh yeah. you know, their snowboards and going down these things and mountain bikers too. I know uh, you know, uh Parsons and Foster and those guys, they've they've done that some in uh, some of the Moto movies, but you know, it's uh it's it's cool to see that it, it's transitioning over a little bit more but but like you said you can't just throw that thing in a suitcase and go to some crazy destination it, yeah. it really takes a lot more thought effort and dedication to get this stuff done
2: yeah Nah, but it's just cool i think that yeah we're kind of getting into that era where it's gonna start happening a bit more um so let's go all the way back then to the start of your, uh, two wheel obsession. So you're pretty much born into a moto family. Is that correct?
3: Yeah. So my dad and his brother started BBR motorsports, um, which started out as a uh, four stroke performance company. Um, and then, uh, transferred over into pit bikes, um, full time. So, I uh, when I was a little guy, you know, there there was uh, mini moto and all that, and they had uh, a bunch of pros over there, you know, testing and stuff all the time. So I was, uh, you know, exposed to the moto stuff pretty quickly, and um, I fell in love with it and my my dad he always says you know he, he never wanted me to be a racer you know he saw how you know gnarly that was and you know how uh how hard that can be on the families and you know your body and all that stuff so he was always trying to lean me towards more of the uh test rider sort of thing like for OEMs and that sort of stuff and I uh I did that for a bit and you know I uh I really enjoyed just riding and trying to get better and you know I was looking up to guys like Carmichael and uh Stu and R V and all those guys and I uh I just saw their work ethic and it really appealed to me. I was like, I just want to, you know, grind and you know, work hard just like just like any other kid does. And um so I, I finally talked my dad into racing a little bit and um you know, it went good. Like I uh I kind of got a little more serious with it when I was twelve. He he let me, you know, try and um, you know go to more local races and that stuff it went good and we ended up going to Loretta's on 85s and all that and uh you know it it was it was great I just I loved every second of it and I was I was taking it dead serious you know at the um from the very start and I uh, I was probably taking it too serious you know just really grinding it out and if I had an injury I was just gonna keep on going that with that thing because I I knew that's what the top guys were doing and uh you know it, it it gets gnarly but um you know won some motos in the 125 class at loretta's and that kind of stuff and um got a team green ride uh after that on 250 fs um pretty much over trained myself into uh you know just being burnt out at that point and um yeah i had had to tone it back a little bit from there and uh get healthy again and turn pro and yeah we're here
2: so what did the like the over thing did you get actually sick from it or
3: yeah you know I uh I basically had this mindset where you know if if you ride the most and you train the hardest those are the guys yeah, that win. win and yeah I I took that to an extent where I mean I was riding 24 7 and I was so skinny and so brittle um from it and just working out and um, I, I, was going backwards, you know, and I, I didn't know it because I was just like, you know, work harder, work harder. It, it'll be, you know, that's, that's the path. And man, I was, by the time I was 17, I was just super skinny to a point where I would even just, you know, even tip over and i shoulder would blow out or whatever. Just cause I was, I was tired and, um, you know, I found out pretty, pretty quickly along the way that, uh, you know, recovery, <laughs> recovery is a pretty big part of it, but it, uh, unfortunately took me a little while to figure that out. And, um, you know, maybe, maybe even a little bit too late cause I was just going for it. And by the time I turned pro, I, uh, I still was just grinding too hard, you know, and, uh, everybody was trying to tell me, you know, to hold, hold back more than anything. Um, and I, I, just thought, you know, they were trying to uh, discourage me in a way. So it, uh, it definitely took some convincing. But you know, after after a little while of sitting on the couch, you know, you realize like, hey, this isn't this isn't fun. That's not that's not why I'm doing this. You know, let's get healthy and do this thing and you know, figure it out.
2: So what was when you were training at your gnarliest point? What was one week in your life like? like? let's say the gnarliest week you'd ever trained on a dirt bike and off a dirt bike. Like, break that week down.
3: Oh man! I mean, I would get up at you know five forty five, run, stationary cycle, do some gym gym exercises, any of that stuff. Get on my mountain bike, rip around a bit. Make sure that the bikes were ready to go, and I would just freaking ride from sun up to sun down my dad would come home he would try and fix the bikes because I mean it I was going for it like if (sighs) there wasn't crap flying off the bike the whole time I was riding I didn't think I was trying hard enough like you could show up at my local track and you would know that like I'm gonna ride that thing till the wheels would fall off and uh good or bad you know I was I was passionate and I, I still am I mean I'm gonna ride that thing as hard as I possibly can and get around that track whether it's ugly or not um and and so I definitely had to had to tone it back a bit I mean I uh I just wanted it bad man like you I had so many people would laugh when I'd show up at the local track they're like there's not going to be one berm that's not blown out and that bike ain't running by the end of this day any bike that I brought you know it you could bring multiple and I'm going to ride that thing to its very limit. <laughs> my, my dad's probably going to be out there with the clutch plates out, scraping it on the pavement, trying to get some traction out of them. But, um, yeah. you know, it was entertaining for everybody and it still is, I guess.
2: <laughs> so, so you, you'd go out there and like, were you doing motos? You'd be like, oh, I'm doing twenties and you'd go do a 20, fuel up do another 20 or like how, how, what was it structured?
3: yeah i mean i was just going for 30 plus twos every every time i got on the bike and i wasn't taking much break and you know that's that's hard on the body man and it's it's hard on the bike and it's hard on everybody around you so um just just trying to keep the stuff running and like i said everybody was telling me like man like slow down like what are you doing you're gonna be burnt out by the time you turn pro and i was like oh more you ride harder you work this this is it and you know um A bunch of sponsors like you know they would uh help me out and they're like yeah you know like we'll get you a a gym trainer and all that and so you know then I'm going to the gym with a trainer but it's not a motocross trainer so they're they're really burning you in the gym and then I'd go home and then I'm gonna ride all day too and I just was making a recipe for disaster but you know all my funnest times because I mean I was riding from sun up to sun down um you know 100% effort and um, it, it's gotten me in this position now so no regrets
2: yeah yeah the, no I mean it's I think yeah like you don't know what you don't know I mean I was like I was the opposite when I was racing you know like I, I couldn't like I've I didn't have the, uh, opportunity to like ride that much. And then I'd get to the track and I'd be like, ah, oh, the track sucks. And this side, my bikes are like, just cause I, like, and I didn't know. I'm like, no, this is just what everyone's bike feels like. This is just the track that everyone's going to ride. So it's like, <laughs> with, if I was a kid, I look back, I'd be like, oh man, I bet I could have done so much stuff differently. But when you're a kid and you know, you, you just don't know any better.
3: Oh, for sure. And, um, you know, it was funny because usually if it's, if it's raining or muddy or snowy or whatever it is in the Northwest, most people are like, you know, we're, we're not riding. Yeah. And my, yeah. my dad was always sitting there. He's like, dude, just don't ride today, man. Like it's, uh, it it's going to be bad. And I, you know, I'm, I'm doing it either way. Like I had that mindset and, you know, he was, uh, you know supportive 100 100 percent like he would he would make it happen and um it it i mean it's gnarly like the the amount of brake pads and everything and that's that's why i really appreciate everybody in the northwest like they all come together and help me help me do this thing because the weather it's not always nice there and it, it was funny because you know growing up you see everybody at the track and their parents are pushing them for like you know pit boards and lap times and you know trying to drag their kid out there and like you know jump that jump i i was the opposite way they they were always trying to uh to tone me back i'm like i want to do this moto i don't care if it's frozen solid as a rock like i'm i'm doing this thing and i'm i'm gonna hit that jump either way and everybody's like slow down man like <laughs> you know it it doesn't have to be this way but uh like, like i said i'm just having a blast doing it and um you know luckily uh team green was was cool at the time with uh You know the amount of stuff i was breaking but man it was it was hard on my dad man
2: (laughs) so you'd be going through like bulk clutch plates bulk oil bulk brake pads grips bars levers like tires
3: yeah. I mean, the way we were doing it was we'd go to a track, there'd be, you know, used tires in the garbage can. So we we were always the guys to run the stuff out of the garbage can, whether it's used tires, bent bars, we'd take home and straighten just because the amount of stuff I, I was going through. Like I said, we were literally taking clutch plates out and I'd seen my dad scraping them on the cement yeah. when we're at tracks and stuff. He's like, you know, it's the the amount of resources that it takes to to ride that much is just insane and then um you know we'd we'd buy super cheap ebay brake pads and rotors and i had a uh like at the time i had some kx252 strokes back when they were worth nothing that like people were just dropping off at the house um they're just like you know whatever <laughs> it takes for you to to keep this thing going because everybody in the northwest they they wanted to see this thing succeed with uh with the amount of effort that we were putting into this thing you know so it, it like i said it was it wasn't just a, an effort of me and my family but the whole northwest was behind this thing to to make sure that we would get to the point where we could go professional with this thing and i uh, i definitely took it to the limits
2: Were were there many people from the Northwest that kind of like quote unquote made it? Like you had the Hill brothers. I'm not sure like your age compared to those guys, but was it a pretty special thing to have someone like yourself from the Northwest that was like actually making a run at it?
3: yeah i mean we've had a lot of guys from the northwest uh the hill brothers uh larry roy ah, larry ward uh ryanville poto um levi kitchen he's coming out of there uh right now he's doing super good um austin black preston bays flew um there there's a bunch of dudes coming out of the northwest right now which is super cool to see um you know not not just the the ryanville potos and those guys um from this last generation so it's uh it's pretty sick to see and we have a lot of tracks um running up there right now which is which is nice because i mean back through the recession if we wanted to ride it was basically like you drive three and a half hours to washugal and they were about the only place that was open unless you were riding some people's backyard tracks and that's kind of how we uh Got into the backyard track thing so much. I mean, you guys see me ride so many backyard tracks. It's because there wasn't a lot in the northwest um, huh. just years ago, you know. But it's it's starting to grow, and it's it's huge up there, and the people are passionate because you can do pretty much year round riding. Because even if you don't want to ride in the mud or snow, there's arena cross like Monroe Arena Cross. Um, there used to be a clark county arena cross and there's kind of places like you can go over to eastern washington which is the desert and ride over there so um you know the sport is really healthy there just because you can ride year-round and it's awesome to see yeah and and the northwest
2: has such an outdoor culture too I mean there's so many people that just love to like you should put on a flannel <laughs> just be outside doing shit. So it's like it's a pretty cool place to kind of be a motorcycle rider as well.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And all all the different terrain uh, for motocrossers. I mean, we can go and ride mountains, desert, snow, rain, Sun, dust, I mean, sand all in the same day, which is really unique. Um, And it's all pretty close by, too. I mean, you can go and ride arena cross, which is super beneficial. I mean, there's not a lot of places for these kids these days to practice their indoor skills. So with the Northwest having that, I think that's why there's so many guys coming out of Northwest right now, which are pretty dang good at Supercross.
2: Yeah, yeah, that that definitely makes sense. And I think too, like the, the backyard tracks breed like some pretty good riders too, because they're like kind of sketchy, kind of got to know your way around it, like not really getting prepped that much. So I think that, yeah, there's something to the whole backyard track vibe too.
3: Yeah, the, the amount of backyard tracks that are in Washington is pretty good because with with the weather that we have, we can get them packed in pretty nicely and then they can grass over so they don't uh, erode away too much. So there's there's a, quite a few backyard tracks and really good ones, um, which, which is super, super beneficial for us because, I mean, if, if you're in California or something, you don't quite see as many of those because they're hard to water, uh, hard to yeah. maintain and all that, whereas... Washington, you know, of course, it's going to be raining during the winter, but you can you can still ride it, and um, it's not just going to be powder. So, um, you know, getting sketchy, riding roots and rocks and backyard sketchiness, um, I think that's super beneficial, and that's what I love the most. I mean, just riding in the riding in the backyard with your buddies on some sketchy stuff it doesn't get much more fun than that.
2: <laughs> so, did you always have a track in your backyard growing up?
3: Yeah, so. Um, We've had, we've been working on that track, uh, the ones that you guys see in all the Instagram videos. Um, That's in my parents' backyard. We're on five acres and we've had that track for about 20 years and it started out as pretty much just a little goat trail. And uh, we had, well, we've got this little skid steer, and I mean, it's one of those where it's like it's gonna run five minutes, pop a hose off, or flat a tire, or, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, whatever the case is. So we'd get it running just enough, and, and uh over twenty years, I mean, it's developed into pretty crazy stuff. And my my dad always used to to build the track, and then you know when I was thirteen or so, I started hopping on the skid steer, and I made some. Um, Very sketchy stuff. I mean, people say it looks sketchy now. You can't imagine what I was making when I had no idea how to operate anything. (laughs) And It was, everybody calls it death cross, you know. They all come over and they look at it and they're like, absolutely not, man. We are not riding that. But we have a little kind of safe pit bike track on one side, so everybody kind of sticks over there because everybody always tries to ride the main track once. Cause you know, they kind of walk it and they're like, you know, it, it might just be worse walking it than riding it. And then they're sitting there with a broken collarbone five minutes later. And it's like, man, I warned you. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, but that's, uh, I mean that track's been super crucial for helping me, uh, get the skills oh, and dude, stuff that I had sure. for supercross and everything. Cause we knew at a young age, you know, if you're not hitting whoops and, um, you know, tight rhythms and all that, that, uh, you know, you got to get on it as soon as you can. So luckily we, we, uh, we saw some DeCoster interviews where he was talking about all that stuff. And we're like, you know, we got to make this thing technical if, uh, if we want to make it. So yeah, sketchiness.
2: (laughs) Dude, that's so funny. One of my, one of my good buddies at home, he had this track, he lived like probably an hour and 20 minutes from, from where we grew up. And he's a pawpaw and banana farmer. And so he had, like, <laughs> the sketchiest <laughs> tracks. And basically every year they'd, like, rotate the the, um, the blocks that the bananas were in because, like, you have to let the, the soil regenerate. And so that would be the track for the year. And he had, like, not even a skid steer, not a, not anything, just, like, a farm John Deere backhoe, basically. <laughs> and the, the lifts, he would make these, like... 70, 85 foot jumps where it's just like this <laughs> and it was like sand lifts with huge ruts and bumps and every time oh, you went there you'd just be like oh, this is probably the last time I ever ride a dirt bike and then he'd, he'd have like he'd get the big rippers and uh, they'd all have like the rows that the bananas were in and so we would just like rip a track one time through this banana field and it was just like the most whooped out, gnarly track you've ever ridden in your life. And he used to, he used to, he was actually like a really good dude, like really good rider. I mean, he could have gone pro, he was like racing with Todd Waters and, and you know, Dean Ferris and those guys but he just he literally owns the farm now so he just was like generational banana farmer but he used to do 40 minute motos in that sand in like it's florida heat basically up there with no gloves because he would just go through gloves so much that he just stopped wearing them So, like dude there's some like legitimate backyard heroes out there
3: oh for sure i mean i've i've shown up at some uh, some backyard tracks for and i was like yeah, there's nobody that can beat, you know, whoever it is in their backyard that track. It's, it's track. crazy. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Just, you know, you'll see a jump and you're like, man, that thing is scary. And they're just like, yeah, I just kept pushing the face a little bit more every year. And it's like, yeah, I see I see that, <laughs> but man. <laughs> but yeah, those are always the most fun days because you, uh, you know, there, there's no pressure. Your buddies are there and, uh, you know, you can watch them hit the stuff and, yeah you better hope that you make it
2: (laughs) that that's really like the ultimate childhood is when you've got a dirt bike track in your backyard and a half working skid steer
3: (laughs) yeah exactly I mean those are those are always the best times like um you know it's almost weird when you go to a a real prep track like because I had a track that you know I thought was you know super crossy in my yard and then I show up at you know milestone when it's my first year turning pro and I was like you know this this isn't that bad and then you go to the real supercross and then you're like oh man like that's nothing like the California practice tracks like how do you even train for that you know and uh yeah I mean it's it's a tricky thing swapping between all that stuff especially when you're going pro because like I said we we wanted it when I was younger to be tight technical and everything and then um, so that when you show up at a supercross, it's not going to be as intimidating. I can't imagine what it's like for the, you know, like let's say the guys that come over from Europe, never ridden supercross. They hop yeah, on a supercross dude. track. That's that's gnarly. You know, it's I huge respect to them.
2: Yeah, when you see a guy like Tom Vial come out this year and i mean people are saying like oh he's not having a real good season like he's not not good at supercross it's like well oh, it's pretty gnarly that he can just show up and like kind of and, like even to get on tv like he's getting tv time so he's doing something right
3: yeah i mean it's it's his first year and he he had some amazing rides in supercross and you know I, I know he was um you know really looking forward to this outdoor series and you know southwick he he showed what he can do and um, yeah. i'm i'm sure as as time comes on like he's going to get more practice and more training because um you know from what i heard he didn't have a lot of time on the supercross bike before this season
2: yeah yeah so let's i'll just go back to this uh, talking about your dad before you guys switched to pit bikes so was he doing like XRs and XR200s, 250s, 400s, all that sort of stuff? Like And then like the the old um, YZ or like the like the early YZF stuff. Is that kind of what the business started as?
3: Yeah. So pretty much they were making parts for all those bikes. Um, and they always had this – they pretty much saw the modern four-stroke in their heads before it was a thing. Like they, they were riding really? these XR400s and things in – they knew that, you know, those had the potential in, you know, a race form to the point yeah. where it could be, you know, the the bike of choice. So what they were doing is, let's say they had an XR400, they were making, a like they made an aluminum frame for that thing with 96 CR250 geometry because that was the yeah, bike at the right. time, you know and uh you know they were they had many different versions where they were doing that with uh basically trail bike motors and uh you know like Honda and all those guys were super you know interested because you know they they were kind of working on something similar too so it, it was it was cool to see that they were part of that process of like you know this has potential this can be amazing it you know, a four stroke doesn't just have to be, you know, conventional forks, you know, putting through the woods. They, they can hit a supercross triple from the inside and they, they could see that vision and you know, it, uh, yeah, all these years later, I mean, look at it.
2: Yeah, man, that, that is crazy. Like, so when I grew up, my dad had XR 400s, XR 600s. That was the, that was it in our, in our house. And he used to do like motocross, like, uh, they, they used to call it, uh, in Australia, they had the Nats, And so it was, you know, kind of like late, late 90s before all, you know, like the actual four-strokes kind of came in and they'd race these grass tracks all over Australia. It was a super popular series. And have you ever heard of a guy called Jeff Ballard? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So he, he had this shot, Ballard's Off-Road. Your dad might even know him because it was sort of like the same time he was... Well, back in the day, it was actually called XR's Only was the was yeah 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 so (laughs) anyway that was like a huge scene in in australia so i mean that was some of my first introductions to to bikes was like xrs in the shed but dude that was such a rad bike eh
3: yeah yeah i mean the uh the the xrs and there there was a few like you know the hooseberg and and those that that were coming through that were kind of you know you could you could see the potential like they the carburetors yeah. were sketchy on these four-stroke race bikes when they were coming out with them and everybody was like you know eh, i don't know and um you know that 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 doug henry yzm 400 like super super gnarly and that that kind of switched the whole sport to the point where you know you know you can hit these jumps and hit the insides of the corners on a four-stroke they're not just heavy tank off-road bikes you know
2: yeah yeah well, that's so cool that your dad was kind of in that moment in time like what what got him into bikes like was did his dad right like is it just a full family like a family thing or
3: you know um so it was my dad and his two brothers and they started out as a bmx shop uh brown brother bicycles and um they they started they were racing bicycles pretty, mostly and they they saw dirt bikes and they saw Bob Hanna and that basically switched them over like Bob Hanna the DG stuff and so uh, they all saved up together and bought you know a little eighty as a kid and you know their their parents they. Uh, you know, my grandparents, they, they weren't into it very much. You know, they, uh, they're like, you know, you can do it, but you got to do it on your own, you know? So it it made them really want it. And they were more into the, uh, the bikes and the riding itself. So they were having fun, you know, making cool parts for them. And, um, you know, in high school shop class, like they were, they were working on dirt bikes and making cool parts for those things. Well, um, you know, everybody else just wanted to race them. So that, that was pretty cool.
2: That's awesome. And and then, so when does it switch from the four-stroke, the big bike four-stroke stuff into the BBR that most people know now? Because, dude, I remember being a kid and having, like, motocross action magazines and, like, flipping through the pages and seeing, like, the BBR alloy frame for the for the 50s and the 110s and, like, the full modded CRF 150 build back in the day. Like, so I've no that BBR brand from like my childhood you know like it was such a a, it was such an impactful brand in that pit bike kind of explosion
3: yeah I mean the the pit bikes um you know they're the XR 100 it's been around forever um all that stuff I mean they were they were having a blast just working on those a bit because like you were saying like the XRs had such a huge scene and then the XR 50 came out and everybody was riding those things and so they started making parts for those and um you know people were stoked i mean they were they were building up pit bikes huge and um you know they kind of switched over to uh full-time pit bikes and um it's been great for them and they've they've uh they've had a lot of parts and things over the years that are um you know, that were developed kind of ahead of their time for even pit bike stuff. So it's uh, it's been cool to see and the the whole perimeter frame era and all that. And, uh, you know, the CRF 110 now being fuel injected, everybody's riding those again. So the pit bike scene kind of even blew back up, you know, with the, the whole COVID CRF 110, everybody's riding those. Um, and it, it's been great. I mean, BBR has been uh, killing it with that stuff. And did you ever
2: have like the growing up where you thought you were just going to kind of take over the family business or has that always been in like the back of your mind when you're you're done with racing because you're so on the borderline of like loving to build bikes and you like the dirt bikes themselves as much as racing them like a lot of times there's one or the other but it seems like you're pretty much in the middle
3: yeah I mean I uh it it was fun growing up to to be around the business and helping test the parts and i'm still doing that like on the daily and seeing the development and uh you know the work that goes on behind the scenes um to to run a business like that and everything and i uh i really enjoy seeing that aspect of it i haven't um you know been able to be on the business side of it as much as i uh would like to just with the racing and riding and everything i've got going on but i would definitely like to uh you know kind of go that route as things go on here but um you know just kind of gotta see down the road what's what's going on but right now um you know my my dad's still loving it my uncles are still loving it so it's it's been it's been good I mean pit bikes who doesn't love them
2: yeah and so you were literally a kid and they were building these pit bike parts and you were like the test rider for the family business as a kid
3: Yeah. I mean, I, uh, like I was kind of saying earlier, like I would ride everything a lot. So Mm -hmm. I would, uh, if they had something that needed tested, I would put the hours on it. I would, you know, go big on the thing. If, if they thought that, you know, something was weak or whatever, I would tell them, you know, real quick if something was going to bend or not. Um, and then just on the, uh, dynamic sides of it all and you know how the bike rides and all that. Um, I, uh, i I really enjoy that aspect of it um even with you know just the simple things like you know a tall seat and how stiff it needs to be and and all that there's so much that goes behind it um that that people don't realize it's not just putting a seat foam on a seat or you know something like that so it's uh it's been cool helping be part of that
2: yeah and i'm sure that that really helps develop you as a rider too where it's like you're not just because most kids they just go out they do the moto that they're told to do and then they come back and you know suspension and like all the setup and stuff like that is kind of just left up to their dad to get right or their mechanic or whatever but for for you to be at a young age Okay, go and just tell us about this seat foam or tell us what you think about this swing arm. like it, that's a that's a lot of cool experience to get as a young kid.
3: Yeah, absolutely. and it's that that experience has you know benefited me for um on the big bike stuff too. like i it's funny because I used to be the guy where when I was younger, I would have to have my bars just right, my levers just right, or it would drive me crazy. And now I'm, you know, riding all these weird, you know, 80s bikes, um, you know, just stuff that's literally rattling itself apart. And I had to learn, you know, like it's it's okay to not have everything perfect. And I've I've taken it to the point where it's the opposite. Like I'm going to ride it like it is what it is, like just like they did back in the old days, like, you know, stuff falling off whatever whatever the case is but definitely for like supercross and that kind of stuff it was it was beneficial to know what the bike is doing um because i mean e- every click on the suspension all that counts at the highest level so it uh it, it was nice to have that experience and be able to you know kind of transfer that over
2: did you feel like that like you could feel that skill developing over time because I think it's that's a skill a lot of people wish they had even just the average guy to know like I had a I had a thing I rode Sunday and um well the the time before I rode my bike was shit and I but I just didn't really have time to fix it I didn't have time to play with it so I did like two terrible motos and then just left <laughs> I was like pretty disappointed <laughs> and then I rode again on. then I went to World Supercross I had like a couple weeks off went back to the track and then did my first moto and i was like fuck this thing still sucks yeah and i and i like went and i actually made a bunch of changes and my bike went way better like instantly first lap i went out and i was like oh thank god like this actually i'm gonna enjoy doing this moto and uh but that was honestly one of the first times i've ever been to a track the bike sucked and then I made it better and like yeah. left. Like happier. That that felt like a milestone in my career almost. So like was that a thing that you could feel developing over time or it just was sorta of second nature? Like you just didn't even know that you were getting that good at it.
3: Um, you know, it, it was kind of a thing that developed and one, one thing I learned, um, you know, kind of the hard way is it's really easy to make your bike worse um, because the <laughs> amount of hours that like, you know, the OEMs have into testing their bikes off the showroom floor, like unless you're, you know, not in the weight range of the bike or, you know, not in the height or whatever the ability is then the bike's going to be pretty good out of the box if you're, you know, it's going to be set up. So to do anything to it, you better know what you're doing. Like I've had it a million times where I'll have a bone stock bike, I'll get suspension done and I'll test it back to back. And it's like, you know, okay, we got to start with a platform and, you know, go up from there and, you know, keep progressing. Whereas most guys, you know, they, they wouldn't, they wouldn't know they just go with it and then they're like man i just i'm not feeling good i'm getting arm pump um you know same thing with triple clamps like a lot of guys you know they they get aftermarket triple clamps and they they put them on before they even ride the bike so they they don't know what the bike is doing so my my advice to guys a lot of time is just do one little thing at a time and then you'll know what the bike is doing or suspension wise you know, click it all the way stiff, all the way soft, just so that you know what the bike is doing. And then yeah. you can go from there and, you know, kind of get the knowledge of what each thing is doing on the bike, you know? Yeah. And I think that,
2: um, at least for me anyway, there's – it's so hard to just feel it on the track. Like, in my mind, or the thing that's kind of, like, helped me lately is to try and learn more about the theory. Like, what's actually – Happening Like, what does a spring do? Like, why is there a certain sag, right? Like, why is it that it does what it does? And even, I actually, shout out to Michael Lindsay. I was I was watching a video on Vital. He, he made it, like, years ago, and it was about suspension to tuning. I don't know if you've ever seen it. But he basically was talking about, like, think about compression, not as hard or soft, but as, like, speed. So, like, your compression is, like, how fast the suspension is going to compress versus how slow the compression is going to um, compress. And I was like, dude, that actually makes so much sense from like a theoretical point of view, you know? And then so it's like when you're going out on the track, if your handlebars are here, if you hit a bump and your handlebars go up, then it means your compression's too slow instead of too hard, you know? So it's even like just thinking about or like putting some effort into the more technical side of it, like why things happen, what what certain things will change, the relationship between certain things. I think that's all, almost as important in my head at least as to being able to feel what it's doing because a lot of times like you're hitting you're going down a hill, you're hitting like 25 bumps, you've got 25 different compression and rebound strokes in like one second. So, all right, so you're going to be able to actually feel what is happening there. And I think that's where, you know, if if you're the kind of guy that wants to change stuff on his bike and you want to figure that stuff out, it's like it almost pays to learn the theory as well as just the practice out on the track.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Super beneficial to know what your bike is doing and, and have it set up right for you. Like... I can't tell you how many guys come up at our local track, you know, and they're just like, you know, what do I do for my suspension? I can't figure it out. I, It's doing this, it's doing that. It's like, you know, f- first step, like, have you checked your sag? Yeah. And they're like, no, we, what's, you know, what's sag? What's all that? So, you know, it, it's, it's been cool kind of, you know, trying to explain it and help guys and all that. But, um, you know, it's it's beneficial to know what's going on because, you like like you said, I mean, there's so many adjusters and clickers on the modern day bike. It's it's easy to go backwards. Like e- even myself, I'll I'll be testing suspension and I'll think that you know it's it's way too stiff going down a hill when really it's too soft and it's just too far down into the stroke. And it it's easy to confuse that stuff um, if you're not really trying trying around on it all.
2: Yeah, and I think too. I mean. I went, it was only a couple of weeks ago. I got some new, I got some new forks given to me and, um, and I was just wanted to get them. They weren't exactly set up right. Like I just kind of put them to where they came and it wasn't a hundred percent. And it was the first time where I just, I took a screwdriver and I went out on the track after I'd finished riding and I just did a section, I like did a section, rode back up to the top of the hill wound the rebound all the way out did the section again a few times went all the way in did the section again a few times and like I'd never really done that you know and it was so beneficial to just spend that 20 minutes of just dicking around with it I mean I kind of went back to where I was but just to have a bit more like extreme understanding of what the bike's doing too i think a lot of times guys will be like they'll do two clicks and then they'll go ride and then they're like ah no and then they'll do another two clicks and then they go it's like you're sort of just not really getting enough of like polarity to tell and uh, you know even that it's like i just don't know how many times people do that on a regular basis
3: oh for sure for sure i mean the they go in one click at a time it it can be frustrating but you know you're like am i making progress am i not making progress and you know it's it's so crucial especially like even at the supercross level with the the amount of teams that you know they a lot of times there'll be a factory part and you know the the rider doesn't want it cuz it feels stiffer but the team wants you to run it because you know it's it's safer or more rigid or it's it's frustrating sometimes at that level because what the bike feels like like if the bike is comfortable riding supercross it's probably not set up right cuz you're not able to bash into stuff and all of that you know yeah. so it's 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 a fine line of of what's good and what's not at at the at the very highest level and it's it's uh it's frustrating at times you know i i see it a lot like um you know i think uh, James was talking about, you know, with master pool between the difference between the factory bikes and, you know, a stock form bike, like, you know, a lot of times on the factory bikes, they'll have their frames all welded up, make it rigid and all that. And when the factory bike is good, it's really good. And when you're having an off day, it's going to feel really off. And, uh, yeah. you know, that, that couldn't be more true. when he, when he said that, I was like, you know, that, that make that makes sense. And, you know, I, I haven't had, you know, much time on any factory bikes and um you know just the stuff that we try you know that can be true with
2: Yeah yeah yeah. Yeah and I think um I think that the it's been crazy for me to watch like I I love KTMs I love the KTM 350 that's my favorite bike but I'm still on the old frame and I don't I'm not in a rush to change like I've got a bunch of all my parts and all that sort of stuff like I feel like I'm real comfortable on that bike but you can see the difference between the the last generation frame and then this new generation ktm frame is so much stiffer and then you're seeing cooper webb not want to ride that bike outdoors you're seeing all those guys go like i think ap's running stock forks with the cone valve inserts instead of 52s and so i it's so weird to me that manufacturers now I mean I don't know so much about the other bikes because I haven't spent that much time on them but it's like they're just going stiffer and stiffer and stiffer and stiffer at like the OEM level and I mean I know you've got like 96 CRs I've got one of those bikes you ride one of those things and it's like you the frame flexes when you kickstart the thing <laughs> <Like laughs> which it's not the best for like longevity but if you compare that bike there to like a 2023 ktm 450 it's like dude what are we what are we even riding right now
3: yeah it i'll tell you what that 96 cr252 stroke still one of the best bikes that was ever made like i'll get on that thing and you know i'll have you know a 450 out there a modern 450 and then my dad will have his 96 cr252 stroke out there and i can't tell you how frustrating it is when I do some lap times for fun between the two, and the 96 feels better, rides better, lap times are better half the time, and it's like, man, because that bike was skinny, the suspension was pretty good, and it handled like a dream, and, uh, you know, it's, like like you said, the the steel frames, they, they wear out, though, and all that, but, you know, Honda, that 96, man, they had that thing dialed.
2: Yeah, and the difference, though, like, how do we get from that bike, which everybody loved, to the bikes that we have now? That it's literally like your teeth are gonna fall out sometimes. Like if you if you're not pushing super hard and like got your bike dialed in, it's like your teeth are gonna rattle out of your head at times.
3: Oh, for sure. I mean the uh, the the bikes these days are like you said, ex- extremely rigid, and I think you know, go- going through the whoops and supercross and all that with them being more rigid, they are more consistent, at least for me. Yeah. Um, like I'm an aluminum frame guy, just the sense of it's consistent. Like if I'm going to bash that thing into a hole or hit a rudder or whatever, it's not going to flex around and rubber band me off the bike. Um, yeah. and I've really struggled with that on, on steel frame bikes. And I think, you know, K- KTM, they, they do have that new design with their, uh, you know, where their shock is mounted and everything, which is, you know, when I talk to them, it's better for the whoops and everything. I haven't spent a lot of time on that new frame either. Um, but it's definitely stiff. And I know some guys are complaining about it, but at the same time, I'm like, you know, that KTM frame can be a struggle, but I really like the aluminum frame at the same time. So it's like, you know, the the steel frames almost need to flex a little bit um and not be stiff because they have that you know deflect feeling um like, like you said that that last generation ktm that that frame was you know pretty pretty dang good um and i i get it like for most guys the steel frame way better like i would i would recommend it to you know most guys um i'm a steel frame guy or i mean sorry i'm an aluminum frame guy through and through it's what i grew up on though with you know the bbr yeah. aluminum frames. so um i like a really rigid bike and i, I don't like that thing flexing
2: <laughs> yeah okay so but then that's like a juxtaposition between the 96 being your favorite bike
3: exactly like it it's it's a hard you know it's it's a hard place because like the 96 most fun bike to play on you can go extremely fast on the thing and then it's like you got the aluminum frame four stroke more heavy more powerful you can get the job done on it but you know it's it's more of a struggle
2: (laughs) yeah yeah so what's your favorite uh alloy frame these days like what do you what bike do you think really nails it
3: you know I've been riding the Yamaha 450. I really like that bike. I know that the, the current one. Yeah, the 23. Guys are saying, you know, it's 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 rigid, but kind of like I was saying, I like that really rigid feel. Um, my my favorite aluminum frame ever was like, you know, 2016 CRF 250R. Um, yeah. That thing, like the geometry of it, the head tube angle, um, that that's been my favorite aluminum frame ever um that whole bike like people said you know those uh four stroke hondas were slow those years and you know out of the box maybe but you know cam's in a piston and that thing rev to the moon and uh yeah i i really like that whole bike
2: yeah yeah oh that, that's interesting yeah i mean i loved. i don't know why it's just a moto nerd in me but i just i love the the generations of you know, like different frames, how they feel, like the, the 2012, I've got a, I've got a 2012 CRF 450 with a 98 CR250 motor in it. And, uh, I've, I haven't like spent the time to get, to get it fully dialed and kind of done yet. But I mean, you ride that thing and that's like such a cool light feeling bike. And that, I think that was a frame that I, I liked and a, a 450 that felt pretty pretty comfy back then but i was at uh i was at uh trentino mxgp this year and roman fevra has this like custom cowie factory frame and like dude that thing i've never seen a bike handle that good in my entire life and like you could hear this like dull thud when he hit bumps and i was like man that thing just sounds like so so good
3: yeah one one thing i gotta say about those cowies man like they are you know pretty dang spot on on the setup um you know the the peg to triple clamp to bar position and body work cowie always seems to nail that stuff so well and you know the the frame you know flexibility all that stuff um you know that that's that's one thing like with the cowie that's that's really impressive every time i ride one and i'm i'm excited to try that uh try that new one that they you know just came out with that next generation one but uh you know like like you said it looks like it's running really good you know if that's the production frame on that thing
2: (laughs) yeah 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 i'm dude i'm keen to try one of those bad boys myself um so what is your favorite honda two-stroke of all time is it the 96 or is there some something else in there that that tickles your pickle too
3: Oh man, the uh, the 93 to 96, like the 93 CR252 stroke was even more flexy. Um, yeah. So, you know, it, it's even more, it's like a big old couch, right? Because the seat's pretty big, but it's skinny and like... You can go fast on those bikes with less effort, I feel like. Of, of course, it's a two stroke, so you got to keep it revved up and everything. But it's like to go really fast on a 450 or something, it takes a lot more effort um, yeah. to, to do it right. Like there, there's a fine line because, like, you know, a 450, you can, you know, sit down and flip the throttle and you're going to make the jumps. But to go really fast on one, it's going to take a lot of effort. Whereas, like, the, I hop on those 90 CRs and they're just so comfortable because the suspension's soft, steel frame, really flexy. I really like those. Um, We have a 1987 CR125. I also really like that bike. Um, Just the, the generations of the bikes and skinny like that is is my favorite thing i mean i'm not the tallest guy in the world so i i really like a a little feeling bike and i i'm always riding little bikes and those those hondas always felt you know pretty small to me so that's why i think i like those things so much yeah and
2: the motor was really good on those bikes too
3: yeah absolutely like those uh those cr250s uh before the rc valve power valve yeah um I mean, so good. I've had the RC power valve one too and I've had it run super good, but a bit inconsistent. And I've heard that the ignitions on those um, you know, kinda play a factor. Um, I heard the ignitions kinda go bad and mess with it a little bit. I don't know if that's true. I haven't tried it myself, but yeah, that uh that older C R two fifty engine still my favorite. Um, you know, out of all the two fifty two strokes still, I mean there's the, the KTM, the, the new fuel-injected KTM, which, I mean, it's good, kind of a, a laggy feel on it. And then there's the YZ252-stroke, which is, um, you know, honestly pretty similar motor to the the, uh, the Honda. And then there's that CR252-stroke, and that thing, bottom to top, so good. Um, yeah, they, they <laughs> McGrath had them dialed in those eras, man
2: yeah and dude talk about like the right guy on the right bike for just a complete era of domination
3: yeah yeah I mean he uh he had some amazing skills on those things and I uh yeah I mean he he developed the whole sport (laughs) with that freaking bike so it, it was pretty cool and to you know when he switched and you know went to Yamaha and everything then you know he developed that bike into something really good too like I don't know if it was you know necessarily him but you know those those manufacturers were stepping stepping it up so much to to get him a bike to to really showcase everything that it, it was sick
2: that really was a crazy era of development eh? like they went if you go from like the like a 89 CR 250 to a 93 so that's a four-year difference in a motorcycle and that was revolutionary
3: oh absolutely and not that long before that I mean they were running dual shocks um and it was it was kind of crazy to see you know from let's say when Honda had that aluminum frame in 97 to their last two-stroke in uh you know 07 07 the, yeah yeah the, the the development wasn't you know that much different like compared yep. to the 10 years before that um yep. so it it was kind of yeah crazy and then obviously it went to the four stroke and everything but um yeah the development within the you know the 90s to the 2000s era was crazy and man so
2: my my best mate Sammy he just got a uh so in covid we actually bought he bought an 07 CR250 that was like original basically and i bought a 04 YZ250 i wanted the i wanted the last of the steel frame of that bike as well and uh and we were going to do like a build off mine's still in a trillion pieces and his is done and it is the sickest bike i've ever seen like <laughs> he has done like they did every it looks better than brand new he's got the carbon fiber tank on there all the guard like all the you know like the chain slider the um the rear brake all the guards are carbon like the thing has been vapor blasted it's got uh, like a cone pipe on it just literally everything bro and it's like that bike's damn near 20 years old and it still looks as good as any bike ever made ever it is just they completely nailed that design
3: oh 100% like uh, the, those last generation honda aluminum frame two strokes were unreal like i uh, we've got some cr125s of those eras and you know they're 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 amazing the way they were set up you know the linkage ratio the forks shock all of it unreal I mean Honda was so good at setting up those bikes Um, you know the seat the way that it's you know set up and easy to work on and um, you know all these years later I mean if Honda released that same bike I mean I it would still be amazing to this day and age like like you were just saying and um, you know you look at, at Yamaha I mean all they've done since you know the last bunch of years is you know update subframe tank and body uh pretty much on their 250 and you know if honda could have done that same thing and kept on selling them you know i think it would have been you know sick i mean that bike it's it stood the test of time
2: yeah man and so what about cr500s how how do they what what place in your heart does the cr500 have
3: the cr500 has a a good place in my heart man like They're they're such I mean Killer bikes Like Out of the box Like the things Are so fun to ride Cause I mean Like we were just saying Those steel framed Hondas with the big seats Like Pretty easy to ride And And super fun My My issue with it Is like I would ride the thing Every day I keep bending That frame though Um Uh. You know And we switch the frame And then You know We We gusset it And get it all good again And then You know We bend the frame Again But uh you know that's that's just part of the vintage fun sometimes you know that's just what happens and you know i see a lot of dudes um you know putting those bikes in aluminum frames and everything and yeah shaky shaky with weird geometry but i i see why they do it for sure and i've heard there's some kits to do it like pretty easily now but i i like the you know the 90s feel of you know how it is and you know riding it like they were back in the day but um you know i i The bike that I want to try and ride is, uh, I've never ridden a KX500, and I've heard they're amazing Uh with the power.
1: Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are.
3: valve and everything um because i mean the cr like absolutely rips my buddy brian he did the motor in it uh you know the porting and everything and he spent like six months making this cr500 that you know he put his life into basically every day and you know he was shimming the transmission just right and everything and so my cr500 is just absolutely freaking dialed um thanks to him and um, you know, everybody's like, you know, you got to try a KX, you got to try KX. So I got to see how that stacks up compared to that.
2: So what are your tips to riding a CR500? Because it's such a unique bike. I just, I don't feel like you can just ride it like any other bike. So if you had to just explain to people the best way to ride one of those bikes, what would be your advice?
3: Well, first off you know check your environment around you because you might be bouncing off of it honestly but you know the 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 500 you gotta respect it because you know it feels mellow especially in the stock form um you know they feel they have the big flywheel effect where to kind of spin up slow um but man that thing once it's going like with that frame being so flexing stuff if it rubber bands it will throw you on the ground like pretty pretty easily <laughs> and and you know i always see people debating you know if if a 450 is faster or cr500 i mean for raw power the five 500 is definitely like faster it but and it's you know gnarly to ride you know 450 you'll physically go faster on it you know nine times out of ten just because you know it's uh it's easier to ride and um and all of that in the stock form but the the 500 if you respect it then then you're dialed I mean I see dudes rip those things in the trails all the time even and it takes a different animal to do that but <laughs> gnarly so whereabouts
2: are you riding that bike in the power? Like what, what's the strategy when it comes to um, actually getting around to track on those things?
3: Uh, right in the mid. Um, Cause I see a lot of guys, they're, they're short shifting them too much. They're not even getting on the power band. I mean, they don't have a power valve on those bikes. So you kind of got to run it in the mid. Um, obviously it falls on its face pretty quickly when you rev it out too much being that big a bore. Um, so, Right right in that mid range power, you have to shift it a lot. Like, you know, you, you hear guys, you know, you know, you have to shift to one twenty five so much. CR five hundred, you gotta shift that thing the whole time, you know, brop, bra, brop, just to make sure that you're in that power perfectly and not, you know, gonna, you know, spin or lug or bog. Um, which I mean that's the fun of a two stroke though. So that that's what makes them so fun. Do,
2: do you ever think about the guys like Jean-Michel Bale and, and Jeff Ward, like Jeff Leesk, those guys that just were complete animals back in the day on those 500s?
3: Oh, for sure. I mean, we uh, I watch those videos on YouTube all the time of those guys back in the day. And, you know, like Daniel Magoo Chandler on his, uh, you know, RC 500 and all that, like unreal how gnarly those guys were getting on those things um you know like Jeff Ward he was he was taming the beast and he wasn't like you know some super tall guy or anything yeah um so you know huge huge respect to those guys I mean and they were they were riding them on you know those weren't prep tracks I mean you see Carl's bad in those like it looks like they're riding those suckers on ice and so it's it's pretty cool to see i mean huge huge respect to those dudes
2: man there's a i don't know if you would have ever seen it but there's a video on youtube of uh the 1992 motocrosser nations and yeah. uh Jean-Michel, have you seen it
3: yep dude john michelle
2: bale i've raced that track and it is so gnarly dude and like john michelle bale literally looks like jet lawrence just like hopping around that whole track standing up he smoked everybody on an absolute animal of a bike
3: yeah yeah unreal the uh i mean i i would love to see um you know one of those bikes just rip again one of those one of those factory 500s I, I want to see somebody on one again just to just to be around it even you know I if I could go back in time I would definitely watch you know 500 national <laughs> I, th- I think it'd be unreal I mean there's uh yeah 500 bring them back <laughs> is there
2: is there a party that sort of thinks that you were born in the wrong era like you would have loved to be one of the guys that was like racing maybe like what is the era then is it like the 89 to 95 like the end of the 80s the start of the 90s is that like your sweet spot where you wish you could have raced
3: yeah for sure I think you know uh you know mid to late 80s to, to early 90s that definitely looks to me like the most fun era just with all the two strokes and the development that was going on and you know those guys were just sending it it they weren't trying to finesse those things around the track and they they were just going for it which was I mean which is really cool to see like these days you know everybody's really smooth going around that thing you'll you'll see guys sending it and stuff, but not like the the two stroke days where they had to make that thing have momentum all the way around the track no matter what whether they were bouncing off a dude or a tree or what
2: <laughs> Yeah yeah do you, do you think that like you can you can tell the way that the style's evolving like I, f- I feel like this year with jet doing what he's doing, Like, I think everyone now is going to have to just start to look at him and go, like, okay, I just can't ride like I used to. I need to try and figure that out. Or, like, do you think that's what pros are going to try and start to do now with how dominant he's been? Or do you think that, like, the old way can kind of still work? You
3: know, with with the 450 the the way that jet's riding it and everything i mean it's it's hard to do any better than that obviously i mean nobody's touching him uh currently right now um it's gonna be interesting to see you know everybody back healthy and everything i i mean jet is on it right now though and um for for the sport, I think it, it's really good to see kind of that new age style. He's the first guy, you know, um, kind of bringing that to the table. Him and Hunter, um, which is which is pretty cool. I mean, there's still some other styles coming up though. Like, I mean, Deegan. I mean, he's a rever and uh, and some of those guys. So it's gonna be interesting to see kind of how Jet develops his style too. The more he gets used to the 450, but he is so good on that thing um and, and not making mistakes like i think what what he's got going is you know he he looks like you know ricky johnson going around the track where he's he's not you know using unnecessary energy or you know he's hopping the bumps um it, it's unreal and it's, it's gonna be interesting to see these next few years if everybody else changes their style up or if they keep perfecting what they got going
2: yeah, that, that's definitely something I'm interested for with the, the next couple of years, because I think that, so like, I, I'm, everyone knows I'm a huge Hayden Deegan fan, but I think his second moto at High Point was probably his best moto of the year, because it looked like he was really picking his way around the track and not overriding. Because I think that the danger that you get when you're sending it the way that, he does and it's that's kind of like an American style like Americans have such a unique style for motocross and I mean they're the only ones that really do supercross but it's just that super aggressive send it to the moon intensity times 1000 but I think nowadays with like the 450 so fast like I think you can do that on a 250 but then I think that when you get into the 450 it's just a different kind of deal and I think, yeah, second motor at High Point, I was looking at Danger Boy, I was like, all right, he's, he's kind of got that mix of, like, the send, but also to be able to, you know, pick his way around the track, and then Southwick, it just looked like the wheels kind of came off the wagon a bit for him, because he was just charging so hard, and it's like, okay, you've now come up against a track that just does not, reward that and I mean I was I saw a video today I think it was in Tommy's video that he did from Southwick Jet literally jumped one of the rollers into the face of the next like big roller and then doubled all the way over it and then doubled out so it was like he just rhythm sectioned an entire straight at Southwick took zero energy barely was on the ground smooth as hell and it's like in to me I'm like oh well that's that's probably the new way to do this thing. But that's taken... That's so many years of development on Jet and Hunter and Darren's end to where it's like, I just really don't know how dudes catch up to that now.
3: Yeah, 100%. Like like you said, he, he uh, made... Ri- Southwick looked like a whole rhythm section and it it paid off I mean it worked for him he he said he was really tired you know at the end of that second moto in uh in the interview or whatever but I guarantee everybody else was you know freaking smoke because they were just pounding that stuff um yeah. you know like like you said um you know Deegan right now he's sending it a little bit but I uh I definitely agree with you that he's he's figuring it out and I'm I'm excited to see where he goes the next few years too just because his uh his passion like he really wants to win and that's that's cool to see like he's not holding anything back and he's not letting any pressure get to him which uh you know it the, the sport's pretty exciting right now like there's there's a lot of guys yeah. coming through like that are are kind of switching it up and um yeah, I mean, there's all the the Stasek generation; they're all coming up too. So um, it, it's gonna be it's gonna be a pretty sweet era for the sport here these next few years.
2: Yeah, I think it's a good point about about Hayden. I mean, he he almost like wills his way to the like he's got the red plate right now. He's halfway through his rookie outdoor season and he has the red plate. I mean, Hunter's had two issues, obviously, but it's like that's how the sport goes like that's how points work if you don't you know if you don't finish the motos you don't get the points and it's like even if you're the the best guy and it's like that kid has just found himself in these crazy positions he did the same thing in supercross he's done the same thing in motocross and it's like there's just a guy that wants to win so bad that's doing everything he can to do it and he's putting himself in the positions and then it's almost like the universe is rewarding him for you know being in in those positions but yeah i think that's going to be like the i think that's going to be the challenge for him going forward is like how can he adapt his style because like jet looked beatable on a 250 right so that to me says that there's a way that you there's like more than one way to skin a cat on a on a 250 f like you can charge it's not going to tire you out you can kind of overpower it to a certain degree And there's guys that like Jet was doing that same sort of stuff, but the reward wasn't there in the same way as what it is on a 450. It's like he's just doing the same thing that he did on a 250, but on a different motorcycle. And the reward for playing that game on that bike is like way more than on a 250. So it's like, but then if Deegan starts figuring that stuff out and then transitions a little bit of his gnarliness to the 450 with a combination of like the way that you know that Jet does it I mean it's that like the thing that then leapfrogs you know because that's the coolest thing about our sport is we're just always in this progression you know like McGrath was so smooth and so stylish and so calculated and like didn't use that much energy and then Carmichael came along and like almost did the opposite and then Bubba kind of did both of those things you know so it's like we're in this constant evolution and you know i think we've got like maybe one of the most exciting couple of talents since james really
3: yeah yeah 100 percent. and you know like you were just uh mentioning you know james ricky um reed it that was a super sick era to watch too because you know Watching those three guys in their prime, all battling it out, um, you know that's that's pretty rare thing to see. Like usually, you see you know one guy kind of peak and dominate at a time. Whereas you know the, that era of uh, Stuart Carmichael, Reed. I mean, those guys were slugging it out at some of those Supercrosses all the way. Um, so it's it's gonna be interesting to see. You know, like uh, you know who who steps it up this next year. I mean, there's a lot of uh, brand switches going on in the 450 class um so it's i'm excited to see you know like who who steps it up with the different program and um you know there's gonna be some some sick battles going on
2: oh man 100 and i don't think it's as much of a like the injuries and stuff like i i feel like eli probably beats jet in some motos outdoors but I I don't know that what we're seeing with Jet is like purely a result of other people not being there. You know, like everyone else that like imagine if you took Jet out of the picture, right? Like let's say he's just not in any of these motos. Sexton still beats ferrandis on the weekend by like fifteen seconds. You know, you'd yeah. you'd look at you'd look at Sexton and be like, he is so much better than these other guys. Like he's the man. He, him and Eli went toe to toe last year. Eli's not there and Chase is just still just bashing these dudes but there's another guy 20 seconds down the road in front and then everyone's saying ah Eli's not there guys are it's like well the only dude that beat Eli last year was Chase and he's there and it's like he might not be 100% you know healthy but it's like he still beat Dylan Ferrandes by you know, 15 seconds. He still beat Aaron Plessinger. Like that's the dude that's been on the podium. I, so yeah, I mean, I, I just don't know that I buy into like the whole injury thing as much as maybe other people, maybe other people just want that. <laughs> maybe they want that to be the case. Cause if not, like the reality is probably pretty gnarly for people to deal with.
3: <laughs> oh, for sure. I mean, yeah, Jet, Jet stepped it up. Like it's, it doesn't matter who who's there right now or not like he's uh he's he's the freaking gnarliest dude right now and um you know you gotta give him credit because i they were planning this thing like that style everything to to fit the 450 this whole way and you know you you look at him he he doesn't have many injuries at all um and you know that's that's half the battle and He's, he's gotten to the point where, you know, he's able to, to be smooth and ramp it up. And, you know, he, he looks so methodical when he rides, like he doesn't look like he's just, you know, pinned and getting sketchy and sending it like it, to me, it looks like he's thinking about every little, you know, throttle blip and, and move and line the whole way. Like it's, uh, almost like a video game to him, you know, it's crazy looking.
2: Yeah, but with all that being said, you're probably gonna smoke him on a two-stroke at Washugul. <laughs> <laughs>
3: hey, if uh, if if I can keep from getting lapped by Jet when I'm on the two-stroke at Washugal, that'll be like a win for me. <laughs> <laughs> so
2: let's 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 talk about that race. So Moto Memes throws down five grand for the top finishing two-stroke at Washugul. You're obviously the pretty much the first dude to put your hand up for it uh and then we start to see like motorsport is putting in money and then you had like ktm or jet with jets and donuts said he was putting in some cash and then you got ktm group they basically said if someone wins on one of their bikes i'll put in another five grand so where's the where's the kitty up to right now
3: yeah, you know, it, it keeps ramping up, and I think, you know, as this uh, the week before Nationals coming up here, I think we're going to see even more guys throwing in money, and it's uh, it, it's good to see, because the sport needs, you know, some, some flavor in it. It needs some two-stroke. Like, there's so many two-stroke diehards out there, and, you know, there's guys who wouldn't touch a 450. They love 250 two-strokes, and so it's going to be awesome to see a bunch of dudes out there shredding on those things. Like they're going to be some, uh, some dudes absolutely sending it for that money. And, um, you know, Washugal, it's gotten some two strokes there, like uh, a few of them each year, either way. So, um, you know, the West coast, I think the whole West coast of pros is going to show up and do that thing. And then you got like, you know, Lesher and Birkin and, and those guys, they're all coming from the East and uh, all the other East guys are borrowing two strokes too. So, I mean, let's line them up. Let's do this thing. I'm I'm amped up to uh, to raise some two strokes. You know, I, I'd done it the last few years at Washugo on a 252 stroke and just had an absolute blast and the fans were, were crazy for it. So to get a bunch of two strokes out there, I think the fans are going to lose their minds. Dude, and it's so sick to be doing it at a national. Like it
2: just means so much more you know all you guys could go and race a two-stroke anywhere else and it would definitely be sick but not as sick as this it's almost like you guys are just hijacking this one race this one day and yeah i mean i think the fans are just fully gonna lose their mind eh
3: oh oh absolutely like the, the last few years when I was going around the track, I couldn't even hear the bike running because they were going really? so crazy. And, uh, you know, the the other guys that have been racing two strokes with some of the other nationals, you know, I've been been hearing the same thing. So, um, you know, ho- hopefully the uh, the turnout is sick for all the two stroke lovers. And um, yeah, I mean, we're ready to throw down on those things for sure. And it, it's cool to see the, the industry kind of accepting it so much, too, because I mean, you know, there's, there's a lot of points where, you know, everybody's like, oh, you know, two-strokes are dead, two-strokes are old, but now it's kind of switching around to, you know, like, two-strokes are sick, like, they're hardcore, um, you know, RevNat thing, throwing some roost, they're definitely the underdogs in the 450 class, like, the power is not even, um, you know, comparable compared to, like, a factory 450, you know, so... Um, yeah, I mean, we're going to be a bunch of bumblebees and the wolves. <laughs> so, how do you see it
2: playing out? Do you think that you guys are going to – well, so who's in that you fully know of?
3: Uh, you know, I know Stank Dog, Lesher, Birkin. Um, I mean, there's been rumors of everybody doing it. Like, Marv might do it. I think that would be really cool to see him do it. Um, uh, Justin Barsha, we've heard rumors of him doing it. Don't know if that's true or not. Uh but I think we need some some big names to do this thing that you know aren't in the championship, anyways. And uh, yeah, yeah, I'm I'm amped up for it. Like, get as, get as many big names doing it as we can, and um, you know, let's all let's all show down on some two strokes and throw down.
2: So, do you, how do you see the race playing out? Do you think that you guys are all pretty much gonna start together? Like, let's say there's ten or twelve of you guys. Do you think the four fifties are gonna pretty much dust off the start and there'll just be a pack of two strokes that are getting around the track for 30 plus two
3: yeah you know it, it's it's hard to say you know washugal is so weird it has a weird start there and everything like um when I was starting there on the 252 stroke I was starting like mid pack or so and you know pretty much just right in the mix of where all the chaos is like last year I crashed on the start in the first moto picked up made my way back up to 15th um, and I think if there's a place where the two strokes are going to benefit it's Washu because it's not necessarily like sandy or deep compared to yeah, the other rounds yep. um, so we should be able to you know make some passes and everything um, if we're all going to be in a pack or not hard to say I think there's definitely gonna be some you know close battles um but you know it's gonna be you know the the five really good factory guys out front and then you know the others and then two strokes are gonna be coming by and (laughs) I think that's gonna be the real race
2: yeah Um. dude I'm so I'm hopefully going to be there. So I'm like literally just waiting to get my passport back and then I'm just going to book a flight and, and go. I've already booked my accommodation and shit just, just in case. <laughs> Love uh, it. But man, I'm so excited to just see like the fan response to it because washugal is always such a sick national anyway when it comes to the fans and it's such a beautiful track to kind of go and be a, a spectator at. Um so yeah I mean I just oh, I can't wait eh? I just think it's gonna be unreal
3: yeah yeah for sure have you been to Washington before never dude
2: I've never been there
3: man you're you're gonna be in for a surprise if you make it out there and hey fire up a two-stroke let's go
2: dude I ain't I just ain't that good <laughs> I, would <laughs> love, I would love I would love to be good enough to just get like a respectable thirty-ninth, but I'm just not <laughs> <laughs>
3: hey as long as you're
2: having fun man yeah yeah yeah. Uh, actually though i think um i think i'm supposed to be riding the the sunday the alpine stars has like their um their launch there so for the for the 24 gear launch so i think i might actually get to ride washugal the day after the national which i'm not sure how fun that would actually be
3: oh man you're you're gonna have a blast like that place is uh so scenic and the the dirt for the national so usually it can be pretty slippery and then um for national they they bring in a bunch of you know fresh dirt from around that's uh you know hasn't been all you know worn out and stuff and it's good like it's tacky like it, it looks like it is on tv where it's like during most of the year it can be it can get to be pretty slippery but yeah if you're riding it the day after national and they do a little prep on it like you're gonna probably have it like the best it's gonna be all year you're gonna dig it
2: dude that's so sick hey i'm just gonna go to the toilet real quick sorry yeah no worries sorry brother oh you're good struggling then so what did you uh what did you get last year on the two-stroke at Ugle?
3: let's see so first moto went down in the first corner worked my way up to 15th and then second moto i uh i hadn't done any nationals since the one before that and so i was like yeah yeah so i hadn't done any nationals since uh yeah the year before that so for the second moto i'm like yeah i'm gonna click my suspension in like it was getting a little you know sideways and stuff so i'm like yeah let's go stiffer and i wasn't thinking necessarily like hey the track's gonna get way Rougher. more torn up yeah, <laughs> yeah. and so <laughs> click that stuff in second moto and I was like I got 20th and I was miserable all the way around that track <laughs> the whole time man so not making that mistake this year but um yeah I had had an absolute blast last year um and uh yeah ripped that that yz 252 stroke all the way
2: that's so sick uh and so what do you what do you reckon? Like, how do you just see this whole two-stroke race going? Like, is there going to be a the, a bunch of dudes doing, like, really good on these things? Like, is it is Washugal a place where you can kind of get around good? Like, if, if it was happening at Millville with, like, the huge hills and the sand or if it was Southwick, like, you're getting buried. But, like, do you think that we actually might see some pretty, like, sick rides? Like, imagine if Marv does it and gets top 10, you know?
3: Yeah, I mean, it'd be amazing. I mean... Put put the right guy on a two stroke on on uh, whichever track suits them the best, and I think they're they're gonna throw down. Um, it would definitely be sick to see a guy like Marv or somebody, um, you know, who who's at the peak of the sport, um, what they can do on a two stroke. So, um, I I think that the two strokes for for that dirt and everything it's it's gonna be good for him with a little more hard pack um you know not not switching around and trying to find lines in the sand um we'll be able to take you know some more insides with the ruts that are getting form and stuff instead of just having to keep all the momentum on the outsides
2: and so do you think dudes are gonna get pretty gnarly for the money because like it's kind of escalated to where it's a pretty good payday for someone
3: yeah yeah oh for sure i mean you already know i'm gonna absolutely send it for that money and i i guarantee you everybody else is too like that's that's pretty big payday and um yeah i'm gonna freaking i'm gonna throw down everything i've got both motos and um you know either either we're gonna come out on top be close or something's happening (laughs) (laughs) uh
2: do do you think that Waschugle is one of those kind of like local knowledge tracks too. I think there's some tracks that are. I guess we saw that with Southwick on the weekend. Do you think Shugle's one of those kind of yeah those ones where it really pays to be a local?
3: Yeah, I think the the biggest thing with Waschugle is the the trees and the woods and the sunlight. Like it it can be mm. hard to see there, and it's hard to see the slick spots because usually the slick spots are in the shade. Um, yeah. So that, that can definitely be a little bit tricky for some guys. I don't think it's, um, you know, local knowledge beneficial as much as, you know, a place like Southwick or, or Millville is, but I could be wrong too on that. Um, but I think, you know, Washougal is just so freaking weird compared to anywhere else. Like even in Washington, you don't see dirt like that or terrain like that anywhere else unless you're at Washougal
2: yeah it's definitely one of those just iconic tracks just the the fact that it's in the trees the layout the soil and you know it they just it always has I I can't remember maybe it was Tyler Keefe I was on the phone to him the other day and he was saying he's like dude if you get a good day at Washougal for the national it's about as good as a motocross event can ever be
3: Oh, 100%. I mean, I, I agree with that. I've seen it before where, like, you know, it rains, and I'm not going to lie, that place in the mud, like, it's not normal Washington mud or anything. It's got an extremely hard, slippery base, and it can be miserable. I, I remember um, a few years ago, Barsha was still on his Yamaha, and, you know, they, they have the Washugo whoops, and it's muddy and uh, it it was raining for a second moto was like pretty hard and he was just sending it through the woods just most unreal thing i'd ever seen and i was just like dude freaking gnarly um but yeah that place in the mud super tricky that place when it's nice out nothing better so um hopefully hopefully it keeps nice for for this two-stroke race and it looks like the weather is but um you know it's always fun to to have a mutter or something in there too but man it'd be rough on the two strokes
2: yeah dude so did you get to go back and watch the battles last year that Eli and Chase had there
3: yeah yeah that one where uh Chase tipped over and then Eli was behind him and uh you know those guys freaking battled it out I remember uh a couple of years ago too it was uh Dylan Fernandez and Cincerella when uh, they were both in the 250 class just going yep. back and forth the whole moto um, getting to watch that one uh, in person was pretty unreal too so it uh, that place always makes out for like some some really good battles it seems like you know the the Americans struggle a little bit more at that track um than some of the others do um just like Marv man he's so good at Washougal um you know watching him there yeah he's just short shifting and taking all the right lines which is um you know pretty cool to see in person that that track's definitely you know different than your typical American track
2: yeah a hundred percent I think from my perspective I think that the tracks in America the way that they prep them it breeds like sandy motherfuckers because you've got so much traction the dirt's super deep and there's there's always lines and so if you can be super fit to charge through the bumps like you're going to have some really good lines through turns and then they've got super sick jumps but I think especially like this year Actually, curious to get your opinion on this. This is like a bit of a, it's like a bit of a bike. I'm going to start pedaling. I really think that they need to ban the scoop tires unless it's like Southwick or maybe like Mill. Like literally, just pick rounds where it's like, okay, you can run a scoop here, here, and here, and that's it. Everything else has to be the a, a normal tire because you look at Parla, right? That place looked like a slot car track because. There was scoop tires on not sand, basically. And it's like they run them so that they can get the start. But everywhere else, it's really not the kind of track where you need to run a scoop. And then you just end up with like this completely grooved out slot car track that the guys can't really race. And I think what made me think of that is the point that you brought up about Washougal. It's like it always seems to have really good racing but it's because it's not ripped crazy deep. Like it's just not, that's not the way that that soil works. So you're able to have guys moving around and multiple lines and like you don't even have to run a line in a turn and you can make it work. And it's like for the guys that have really good throttle control and really good ability to find traction, they're the ones that that go fast. And I think that, yeah, just after watching the Nationals this year, especially this year, it's become super obvious. I just think like, we just need to regulate and just say like, "Hey, these are the tra- these are the tracks you can run a scoop; the rest you can't." And I honestly think we'll have much better racing as a result of it.
3: Yeah, yeah, one hundred percent. Like you were saying, a lot of guys are running the thing just for the start. So, I've ran a scoop before just to try and get a good start, and I mean, it, it's really good everywhere except corners, and it just like you kind of said i mean it, it chews up the track a quite a bit especially on these ones where um you know it it develops a rut and the the dirt's not necessarily loose and it'll slot card around so i'm that that is kind of an interesting uh thing to think about i, I haven't really thought about that before i mean in in europe they're uh, mostly running scoops though right yeah they
2: they do the same thing in Europe basically these days and it's just doing the same thing like I just feel like the tracks are just getting absolutely destroyed more more than they ever have and yeah I mean I think in Europe like they they don't really prep the tracks in the same way that they kind of do here like Trentino's like gravel and the start straight is like really nice it's like they bought in really nice dirt for the start straight super deep but then the rest of the tracks, yeah, pretty pretty much just like this rocky, gravelly soil. But I mean, in all other forms of racing, you get told what tires you can run. You know, I just it's a free for all in motocross and supercross, and you know, and I I've even said before that I think that there should be like a a supercross only tire to try and avoid those tracks getting so blown out as well. But yeah, to me, it's like easy, super easy call to make. You go Southwick you can run one, Millville you can run one, Redbud you can run one. That's it. because you know you do you're looking for an advantage off the start, but if nobody else has that advantage, fair, you know what I mean? fair, fair game and I just think it, I think it'll make the racing better
3: yeah yeah for sure i definitely uh i I see what you're talking about there like the the tracks these last few years have definitely developed like quite a bit differently and like you look back at the uh the two-stroke era the the tracks were more like you know braking bumps and acceleration bumps and not necessarily like massive ruts and like um you know even you see like uh stewart and carmichael when they were racing i mean there was nasty ruts but it seemed like a lot of the tracks uh of that era they were able to kind of float around a little bit more and the battles yep. seem to be better. Um, I could definitely be wrong on that, but I, I think you're uh, you're definitely right. Like the, the tracks can, can get like chewed out in the corners and then there's only one good, you know, main line, which is kind of like ma- makes the racing a little more boring for sure.
2: Well, I think that the, the second moto at parlor was the best example of it, right? Like Jet gets out front, gets a start runs the pace covers the inside lines and forces sexton to pick so basically he put him in the position of if you want to pass me it has to be on the outside you can't come up any insides because if jet's in the line there's there's no other way. like there's no line you can take now there's just this line this is on the inside so if you need to pass me you're going to have to go around the outside, which means you're going to have to take a massive risk and that line's not developed. It's a longer way around and it's super sketchy because you don't really have that much grip because you're running a scoop tire and it's 3.30 at parlor. So it's like, I just think that that moto right there, if anyone is like thinking I'm crazy, go and watch that moto from that perspective and i think that you'll start to kind of like see see the point but i think that's back to your point is like why washugo always is so good is because guys can move around the track
3: yeah yeah 100% like the uh e- even in supercross these last few years like uh it they've they've been trying to make the tracks you know more racer friendly you know to pass and all that and um it's interesting because a lot of the tracks that are more technical seem to be almost the the safer ones because they uh, you know guys are going slower like the the big rhythms the the huge corners and all that and and the ones where you know it they're you know more flat and everything guys seem to be sending it harder and uh, you know getting more hurt that's just my opinion on it but. Um, for outdoors even with the the tracks you know being like slot car almost it's it's been you know the guys seem to be going slower but the racing isn't as good being like that
2: yeah 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 no I I completely agree and I mean you you go back to like you said the like Ricky's last kind of years on a two-stroke and it's like you just can move around the track and there was uh actually the Trey Canard podcast which I think that comes out tomorrow but we were talking about Millville 2013 when he had that crazy battle with James. And the first thing that he said when I asked him about it was, oh, it was just like a weird year. They didn't rip it as deep so you could move around. And look at well, – that was one of the best motocross races in, in history is like, yeah, I guess like the speeds are up, but you guys can go fast. I think the stuff that makes it dangerous is like these crazy ruts and these crazy like just – It looks like an explosion's gone off on the track at the end of, you you know what I mean? Like it actually looks like, it doesn't look like a motocross track these days. You walk a track after a national and it looks like a fucking bomb's gone off. (laughs) I think that's what's dangerous.
3: Yeah, yeah, 100%. Like... Like you were saying, it, it looks like a freaking and bomb went off at some of these nationals. I mean, there's parts everywhere, and you know, pretty much, you know, goggles, all this stuff. It it's carnage. It's like a war zone out there. And um, you know, to to find that fine line, I think, you know, over over the years, the the tracks and you know, the AMA felt all those guys are are trying to find that that perfect happy yeah. medium. And um, I I know that's a tricky thing to get to. So. Um, yeah yeah it it's weird to see what they what they try at some of these things,
2: yeah yeah well, anyway, so that's my that's my little rant for the day but i, I would, <laughs> I'd love to I'd love to just see what would happen if they just said like yep, we can only run a scoop at these certain events um what what other like now that you've kind of got this deal with Red Bull and you're gonna kind of be able to just pick and do whatever you want like do you have some stuff that's on your bucket list of events races like things that you want to do now that you can
3: yeah so basically I just want to try a little bit of everything like I want to try some hard enduro I want to do you know maybe a couple supercrosses maybe a couple outdoors but I want to do the weird stuff too um you know like I want to try airsburg just to try it I want to try you know like A Tennessee knockout just to try it I want to try you know flat track and and do do it all and I want to do it on weird bikes too and that's that's kind of the goal right now um you know to to set all that stuff up and um you know just really change it up I I want to challenge myself myself in new ways
2: do you have anything that's like locked in at this point like that you know for sure that that you're gonna do like i'd love to see you do Erzberg. i'd love to see you do like western beach race that'd be super sick like i think that there's a bunch of cool there's definitely a bunch of cool stuff that that you could do
3: yeah you know um pretty much this year everything it's kind of late into the year right now like airsberg just happened but we're planning on trying to do that next year and um some some weird niche races too I I, I I want to do that kind of stuff and um you know I I want to ride weird bikes with pros too like I, I want to get rocks yeah. on an RM85 I I want to I want to ride with him on those things or you know just just things like that um you know we're we're working on um you know get getting these dudes on weird bikes that you know they they had some awesome times on and uh it's it's gonna be exciting here
2: dude that was literally gonna be one of my questions was would you smoke roxon on an rm80 <laughs> i
3: i think the thing with roxon and anybody of that caliper you know like they even if i was faster for a lap they could watch me and mimic it and then put their own twist on it you know that's why they're a champion like they will throw down however much they need to to be the fastest dude so it, it would be really fun to uh to to ride with them just just to see you know what what that would look like and um you know he was a beast on those things when he was a kid and I, I'm sure now he'd be ridiculous so um yeah that'd be fun and then yeah I, I want to see you know i we think it'd be fun to like you know take a top super mini kid now and then you know put me on a super mini and you know see see what that would look like too like um you know how how my speed would be compared to you know a kid on a super mini would would that kid be way faster because that's all he rides or would the pro skill like translate over or would i be too big and heavy you know like um i want to find that stuff out i think it'd be i think it'd be a blast
2: Dude, yeah, that would be sick. What what kind of track would you think, like let's say you and Roxen do this RM80 deal, like what kind of track would you want to do it on? What's the sweet spot there?
3: Um, You know, I think something where it's not just gonna be wide open the whole time you know you we want some berms some jumps nothing nothing crazy but something that we can throw down on and you know aren't just going down some straightaways pinned um you know having having it a little bit technical is always always a blast especially on those small two strokes so um you know in a perfect world it would be big berms <laughs> i wonder when the last time he rode an 85 was that that would be interesting who knows i mean uh for all we know, he could be freaking out back on that RM85 every day. For all we know, <laughs> not saying anything. But um, yeah, yeah, that'd be interesting to know.
2: Yeah, dude, I'd love to see that that happen. And Daniel Ricardo's favorite bike is a CRF110. So I feel like you and Danny need to try and do some kind of uh, some kind of like 110 challenge. I feel like you might be slightly more skilled than him currently. So maybe there's like a handicap that we need to make. But look, I don't think the gap's too too extreme. I think that we could like handicap it in in some way that, uh, that, that made that a cool race too.
3: Yeah, the thing that's fun with like those 110s and stuff, like especially if, uh, you know, it's two stock 110s, is like to get a gap on somebody is so hard because the bike is so slow and it's like all about momentum. So like even if one dude is faster – it's like not that much faster because there's not that much time to be made up, and that's why one uh, tens are so much fun riding with everybody and you know super slow bikes because you know you you can be throwing down hard, but you ain't getting away from anybody unless you're really doing something special.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, dude, he he rips too on like a a, a one ten. Like he actually has got some some serious uh, some serious game on there. So you could be right. Like it could just be closer than than what you'd think purely based on like the horsepower of the bike it's kind of like a rental rental carts right like when all your mates go to like go-karts and they're all super slow everyone just holds a thing pinned
3: oh yeah 100 it, it it's so funny because every time we go go-karting you, you know everybody's thinking in the back of their minds are like yeah i'm gonna smoke everybody like it's not even gonna be close and then by the end like everybody's within like a super small gap and like one buddy was faster one and then slowest the other it's like that that's what's fun and that's that's what pit bikes can be like too you know on on those stalkers.
2: yeah so have you got any uh have you got any bike builds in the works at the moment that you're working on
3: you know we've always got some cool bike builds going on right now we've currently got a couple 90s uh yz 125s that we're working on we got a uh, 89 kx 125 uh rm 252 stroke um A little bit of it all, man. We're uh, we're enjoying like you know that that '90s era is so much fun. And um, I got a uh, a KTM 380 the other day. I've had a bunch of people telling me that like those 382 strokes are uh, you know glorious. They're like a mix between a 500 and a a 300. So um, I'm really excited to try that. But uh, sad part about that is like I got that thing. I had my buddy pick it up. Uh, The guy who previously owned it said that the kickstart turn spring was broken and that he you know just bump started it to ride it and i was like okay and so i get it home and i uh push it down the hill and i go to bump start it and uh that spring came off or something one of the gears caught in the motors and uh. it uh caught the gear and broke the cases broke the kickstart shaft broke everything uh. like before i even rode it all the oil on the ground and i was like man dude and uh So I got looking online and I was like, yeah, there's got to be some parts for them. There are none of those kickstart shafts anywhere for those things. And I, I made an Instagram video. I'm just like you know I was like hey anybody got one of these and everybody's like oh yeah my you know this shop's got one and they've all got it listed and they're like no we don't we don't got those things so still on the hunt for that and that's that's kind of you know the tricky part with some of these older bikes but that's what makes it fun too is hunting this stuff down and um you know it's tricky just like cr480 shift forks we had to get out of europe and um all that stuff but that's what's kind of cool with social media too is like you can put the word out and everybody's kind of yeah, hunting around yeah. and um yeah it's cool stuff in the works well
2: i need a 1998 cr250 power valve setup so
3: <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> if yeah any, if
2: anyone out there because i i've i got the head all like water blasted and stuff and then the guy lost all the the parts for the for the power valve. Oh, all the spring shit. <laughs> yep, so I'm, I'm bummed on that. Uh yeah. so how, how many bikes would you, would you say you own at this point?
3: You know, so, you know, a lot of people see me ripping all sorts of different bikes and everything. Like some of them are my buddies. Some of them are, you know, BBR developed bikes. Some of them are, uh, dirt bike magazine bikes. Um, and then, you know, some of them are just, you know, bikes that, people drop off um that they're just (laughs) done with like the the way we've gotten a lot of these bikes is like i'll put the word out like you know we're looking for this bike or parts for this bike and if it's like any sort of two-stroke mini everybody still has all their parts from growing up and stuff and like bikes blown up and stuff that they were literally gonna take to the dump um you know we'll we'll take that stuff and we'll piece a bike together out of it and everything like i got this uh I love this 2002 CR125, right? And I got this thing for 200 bucks from this kid. <laughs> and the swing arm was, like, crushed in. And then he blew it up and he dropped the motor as he took it out and broke the case. Oh! Got the swing arm fixed. My dad welded up the motor. Ride that bike every day. And we just look for, uh, you know, deals like that where guys have, you know, something they feel like is too wrecked for anybody else to take. <laughs> we'll take it and we've... Uh, yeah we've come up with uh, quite a lot of bikes over the years there
2: yeah dude i i love the whole bike build thing so much these days like especially i feel like it's the older i get too the more that i appreciate it and especially like we're about to enter the electric era you know the i, I don't have you rode a stock yet
3: i have not
2: bro it's about to blow your brain out of your head. <laughs> like, when you when you ride one of those things for the first time, you're going to, like, you're going to shit yourself. And we're about to enter that era, you know, where it's, like, the, the concept of, like, changing oil and doing valve shims and, you know, like, gearbox, all that is, we're going to, like, start to lose a lot of that. And I think that the nostalgia that we're all going to feel for, like, work, I think that there's going to be a big industry coming in people kind of like wanting to get their hands dirty again. You know, like right now it's like almost a chore where I don't change my oil enough as I should. I don't do bike. Like my throttle cables kind of sticking a bit. I'm like, fuck it, whatever. Like I'm just going to go right. (laughs) (laughs) Just going with it. Yeah. But I think that over the next, you know, like the next kind of 10 years, I think what the industry of fixing bikes will be is like people, doing like what you're doing getting an old bike taking it doing a full full rebuild doing all the work themselves because it's like they're probably gonna have an electric bike that they're gonna spend most of their time riding so like they're just gonna be able to have this thing in the shed in a million pieces and take however long to kind of put it back together but dude I mean that's some of the most enjoyable things I do is like piecing a bike together from start and seeing it come up and having it work good and having the the colors come together just right and all the parts that you wanted to have on i mean it's such like a dope part of the sport and i think that's one of the things i really enjoy with you is like how much effort you put into that stuff
3: yeah we love it like uh me and my dad uh my fiance claire we're out in the shop every night like piecing these things together and um you know we we have a blast like um you know Finding the stuff and finding weird bikes that people think suck and like are actually pretty good and um you you know it's we have a blast just getting dirty getting this stuff together and um it's it like you said with the electric stuff it's gonna be interesting because it's gonna be more like you know if you want to dial in the bike you're it's all electronic and you know you're you're almost gonna have to be like you know a a full on computer specialist to you know mod those things out and make them run good instead of you know you're not going to be out there porting a cylinder you're going to be mapping that thing for whatever power you know
2: are you are you excited for the electric thing or are you or do you already think that you were born in the wrong time period
3: you know like we were saying late 80s that's when i think the best time was but i could see The beneficial part of the electric bikes for the industry as far as like, you know, there can be more tracks places and, uh, you know, pretty much just more, more areas where there's noise restrictions, all that. I know that's really hard in some of the European parts and all that. And, um, you know, once, once they get the batteries a little bit better, I know that they're still struggling on, you know, time for some of those, but, um, as far as the, the only thing that like really worries me about the electric stuff is the the racing part like i i know that they're going to find a way to to make that exciting at some point you know when electric is dominant or if it becomes dominant but um you know i just don't feel like it's going to be the same but you know maybe it's a different type of racing or you know different yeah. type of category for for all of that because i i don't see the um you know, the love of everybody's, you know, real engine power going away.
2: Yeah, and to be honest, like, as much as I love those bikes, I do feel the same thing, you know, like, there is part of part of what's special about Anaheim Stadium is the fucking sound <laughs> of all those bikes just yeah. revved on, on the start line and going into the first corner, but uh, it's funny, though, and this might sound lame as hell but now when I ride a normal bike I'm like dude this shit's so noisy like (laughs) this is a (laughs) lot like when you go from just you do a 30 minute moto on the Stark and it's like pretty peaceful you know like you can hear your tires moving you can hear your suspension moving you can like there's so many other things that enter the picture that are just completely drowned out by noise and vibration and Like so as lame as it sounds like there is a big part of me where it's like it's a much more nicer experience to to ride one of those bikes but yeah Yeah. when you line 40 of those up you know i just don't know i don't know if the impact is the same in a stadium or at a national um when you know when there's just no sound associated with it
3: yeah yeah 100 percent and um You know, I I think the the cool part about electric eventually here is, you know, if somebody wants the bike to feel slower or faster, it's going to be easy for them. Like for the the general guy to go get a bike, they're going to hop on that thing and it's going to be a lot easier than like, you know. You know they hop on a 450 you know 450 is a 450 that's that's
1: you and know what changing. they're doing
3: yeah it ain't <laughs> yeah. changing um you know so for for stuff like that I could definitely see it and um but yeah for the race and I want to I want it to be mean you know <laughs> yeah, I want, yeah. I want that power and sound yeah, yeah. It, the adrenaline right there you know yeah, but
2: I mean, it is it is wild though, dude. Like, I don't know how good Claire rides or if she rides that much, but you'll be able to go and ride that. Let's say you got a Stark 80 horsepower setting and you'll be like, going, holy shit. Like, how, how can I ride this thing? And then you go put it on 20 horsepower for her and she can go ride the same bike two seconds later, completely safe, hand controls, like the whole deal. Uh, I think that side of things, like... I don't know. There's just so many advantages that are that are going to come from it, you know. And I th- it's just going to be like a, a a balancing act.
3: Yeah, yeah, definitely. It, I'm excited to see where sport goes these next few years developing with all that and um you know, it's crazy. It, it it's cool to see KTM still like developing their two strokes and stuff still um yeah, 100%. you know with them yeah doing the fuel injection and and all that I'm I'm happy to see that you know none of that's going away as as you know this new era is kind of coming through but um yeah I'm I'm excited man these next 15 years for the sport is gonna be uh pretty crucial
2: dude I think w- I should try and get a stock to your place I feel like the uh stark edit from the backyard would probably do pretty good
3: (laughs) for sure i mean the people seem to to dig rocks and ride that thing for sure and um you know i'm always i'm always down to ride whatever i had um one guy bring like a, a super mini style electric bike up there and it, it was pretty fun. My audience, you know, they're all into two strokes and everything. They're like, "No way, no, don't do it, man!" And I was like, you know, I'm just riding everything, guys. Like I'm just having a blast, you know. But, um, yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely gonna be uh, some some diehard, you know, engine people the whole way. This, you know, as the electric stuff comes, and I'll be one of them. But I'm I'm not a to <laughs> riding one.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's such a. Yeah, it's just such like a. Um, it's almost like the Second Amendment of motorsports. You know what I mean? It's like no matter what arguments there are on both sides, it's like freedom. Freedom stops here. <laughs>
3: and,
2: uh, and I feel like that's like the motocross. Like no electric
3: freedom. <laughs> like we want to be free. Exactly. Exactly.
2: Uh, so uh, you race the the Harley and i was i was watching the edit that you did from the harley you've raced with my boy jakey masters
3: yeah dude he's awesome like uh i met him at pickup pit bike of nations this last year and i was like dude this dude is hilarious like he's funny and then yeah i heard he was on that uh suburban motors harley davidson team and i was like oh heck yeah like this is gonna be this give you a blast and yeah man we had some fun like he hopped on that uh xr 1200 and he was ripping it like pretty quickly um and was like uh competitive on it and you know he's he's gonna send it and so um yeah at the last round like second day he was uh he was battling hard for this uh third place and this dude came in and uh you know washed them both out and he was he was fired up man like he was he's passionate and um you know it's good to see like he's a racer you know
2: yeah dude have you ever seen his pit bike track at his house
3: yeah the thing looks insane like the dude can ride so good on those bro he can ride
2: he's kind of i mean if he lived in america and he was like full-time over there doing like youtube and stuff like i think he would actually get pretty pretty popular because He can ride everything good. Like, he rips moto, like motocross. Dude can hit all freestyle, like, does massive whips, like, sends it on a pit bike. The wheelie stuff that he does on the Harleys. Like, he's a really, really talented dude
3: yeah yeah all around talented on everything and um you know his personality is really good too and he has uh he's been spending a lot of time over here in america so hopefully that uh i mean so far it's been working out really good for him so you know he's uh he's finding a good place over here and um like you said youtube or something like that he would he would be super successful at and you know um it's been sick like he's he's so skilled on those Harleys like doing the stunt stuff too like whatever he hops on dude's got talent yeah
2: yeah that blows me away what what did you think about the was that pretty much the first time you were doing any road stuff
3: yeah so last year right after Supercross um Rob Bidos he hit me and was like hey like do you want to race a Harley and I was like sure why not and so um we flew out to utah did it it's called a bagger racing league i just do like the lightweight twins class and i i hopped on that thing and i had no idea what i was doing like i don't ride a street bike at home or anything like i've got a moped is about it and uh you know like i wasn't even close to like uh you know doing anything in practice and then by the time the racing started i was like okay i gotta figure this thing out like I'm just going to throw down. It might get a little sketchy, but I was able to win that and then, um, did around in Milwaukee and they had, um, you know, some other moto guys, um, coming to do it. Like Cody Gilmore, he showed up and he was really good on it too. He had done some in the past, um, one or two and, uh, he was good. Like he, me and him kind of battled out. He beat me there. Um, and so like, it's been super fun and, um, yeah we did this last round in Pittsburgh and you know me Cody and and Jake we're just having a blast out there ripping on those things
2: yeah it's so different to go from motocross to or just to dirt to those things I mean the the technique the the style there's like the track doesn't change and it's all about hitting apexes it's just it's a whole different experience and I mean even you know, like in in Moto you're sort of like leaning with the bike in a sense, but in the road racing it's like you're leaning away away from it and yeah, it's a it's a crazy, crazy different thing. But I'm surprised that more guys don't try it from Moto because I definitely think it helps your you know, it would help your your riding. Um I mean there's a guy, Troy Herfoss, he's the one of the ASBK Um, He rides for factory Honda here in Australia. And I've been riding motocross with him a lot lately. He's doing the national at QMP, like our local national. And uh, I mean, he rips so hard on a moto from just like years and years and years of of road racing. And like the way that he looks at turns and the lines that he picks when he rides, like there's so much to learn in that crossover.
3: Oh, 100%. Like I I feel like the road racing it's like big go-kart racing where you you're looking for the momentum the whole time where are you gonna sweep around this corner your line choice is like super critical like I feel like I'm thinking a lot more riding on the road than I am on a dirt bike it could be just because I'm you know new to it but you know it's definitely beneficial and like you said like on a moto bike you're leaning with the bike and i kept doing that and i would like scrape the pipe and like get all sketchy so it's like like you said it's like a a completely different feel but it's beneficial for moto at the same time and um yeah it's it's crazy like how it kind of crosses over more guys need to need to do that if there was a path to do it for sure
2: yeah i just think that it's like probably pretty hard to just to have a track bike for road racing and you know like you're kind of getting expensive at that point I'm sure everyone would do it but I mean for me like I did a a kind of a Ducati ambassador thing for a couple years in Australia and so that's the only reason like it wasn't even on my radar like I never thought to even do it and I don't know that many moto guys do Yeah, I don't know if you'd ever really thought about doing a track day or whatever until they hit you up but yeah, once I did it, I was like, holy shit, this is actually really, really fun. And I want to do a lot, a lot more of it.
3: Yeah, 100%. It's like, you know, you, you look at it from the outside looking in, you're like, oh, you know, like, you know, the track's the same, you know, each lap you go around, like, how hard can it be? Like, you're you're just got to send it into the corners further and everything. You got to finesse that thing all the way around the track. And it, it was funny, we were talking about, you know, the track staying the same right as i was saying that at the last round it started dumping rain and so oh, no then thanks. they're they're putting rain tires on and stuff and i was like okay now is this is a completely different thing and i like i was worried for sure cuz you know moto you know it's just gonna get muddy whereas on a on a road course you're like you know am i gonna hydroplane or like how's this thing gonna react if i lean it over too far i'm done um so yeah definitely you know some weird aspects to it that you don't think of from the outside looking in
2: oh man and they crash so different like i I
3: actually i crashed one have you thrown one down on the road yet i haven't yet i've been a little like timid to do that (laughs) <laughs> I
2: was in uh, I was in Vietnam doing this like tour across the country with my family and uh I hit it was like a it just started raining so we'd kind of like backed it off no, I, no one was going too crazy but I hit like a spotted diesel on the road and like my front end tucked so quick and I luckily I was wearing a full face my face just like smashed on the road and all I could see <laughs> was just like gravel like the bitumen i'm just like it was like the (laughs) gnarliest sound all the metal was scraping on the road the the bike ended up sliding fully across the road into a ditch and then i like went over into the ditch and i was just like holy shit that was like actually traumatic (laughs) like I (laughs) i thought i was gonna die just based off like the sound and like how quick everything happened i was like man this shit ain't no joke
3: no, no, it doesn't do the bike any good either when that happens at all. <laughs> <laughs>
2: nah, but I mean, the I, I've done a few track days since then and on like the proper race bikes and stuff and just so much fun. And even though the, the the track doesn't change, but then that all, it's almost like it flips, right? It's like, because the track doesn't change every lap, you change every lap. Like it's so hard to be perfect and consistent and i think that's what the game becomes in in the road racing stuff whereas in in moto like that's kind of taken out of it because you're adjusting constantly to the track whereas yeah once that once that variable's out of the picture it's just pretty much all on you and the way that you're riding the bike it's a cool experience
3: yeah yeah i mean the the thing that was crazy to me is with the track being the same every time you can push it just that little bit further yeah. because you can rely on you know there's not going to be a rock or a, a rut that caved in or you know a huge braking bump or acceleration bump so you can just send it a little bit further every time and I think that's why like so many guys do have some issues on the course because they're just like you know I can just hold it on a little longer I can you know break a little bit less and um, it, it's a tricky game with that stuff you know
2: so do you have any more races coming up this year that you're going to do on the on the baggers
3: you know so there was supposed to be one uh this weekend that i was supposed to do but um i'm getting ready for washington national and i i i'm gonna skip this next bagger round um yeah. there is another one in uh in california though a little later into the year um so if uh, if everything works out i'll be at that one but yeah definitely uh bummed out to miss this next one but I'm sure uh Cody Gilmore and Jake are gonna you know rip it up even uh even harder it'll be sweet
2: and have you got any plans to ride like more of a race bike kind of vibe like get on an actual sports bike instead of the bag up
3: you know so Andy the Bringo, he, uh, lives up in Washington too, and he does all sorts of, uh, road race stuff. And he's, uh, been trying to get me to get on one of his bikes and, uh, go for a day out at the ridge. And I would absolutely love to do that if I could, uh, you know, time it right and get out there and everything, I would love to try. And, uh, I uh, I also had another buddy that said I could do a track day on one of their street bikes out at Pacific Raceways. So um, if the timing's right, I'll hop on one for sure. I, uh, I want to try it all. Dude,
2: that's so sick. And uh, before you go, we got to talk about straight rhythm last year. That was a pretty sick event. And you talk about like throwing down what was that whole experience like in in huntington beach and i'm i'm imagining at that point was the red bull helmet like kind of on the menu and you were like really hoping to prove yourself at that event or was it like not really in the picture then and like how where did the the whole red bull deal fit into straight rhythm because you were definitely on like a pretty epic level at that race
3: Yeah. So basically the Red Bull deal, I had no idea about at that point. Um, you know, it wasn't even in the back of my mind. Um, and I don't, I honestly don't think it had to do too much with that race. Um, I think it's more of just, you know, doing a little bit of everything, but it was definitely like, I wanted to win that race so bad. And I was in, uh, Europe and France for that GSM Yamaha team doing the world supercross stuff. And so, I didn't really test almost at all going into straight rhythm and I had a YZ125 and a KTM and you know like uh, Dirt Bike Magazine they they helped me build both those things and you know we thought it'd be fun to like you know go between the two and I was asking everybody else you know they were all on KTM 150s and uh, you know when I talked to them they're like you know you know uh, show up on you know a big bore 125 or else it won't hit the jumps so or like we're telling everybody that and it's called a 150 class the YZ was a true 125 and it it was fast like it would got done by I asked everybody else and they're like oh yeah we're all on uh, big oh, bore really? like I'll do that yeah and uh I was like okay I'll I'll ride the KTM then and I uh I did that and you know just yeah sent it and it was it was good got sketchy in the whoops when it started raining but it was it was fun
2: that event is such a cool event that they do. I feel like it gets so much, gets so much good publicity. You know, it's like it's such a pure form of racing. The guys that are there really want to be there, and I feel like you're all. There's always like a, some really cool moments from from that race too. Like Kenny Kenny Scrub probably took it away last year. You know, like that's just that was just ridiculous. But um, yeah, I mean, that's just such a rad event in general.
3: Yeah, that's always probably, I mean, the two times I've done it, it's been my favorite event I've ever done, Um, not just racing it, but seeing the top guys on two strokes, just like seeing Kenny on a two stroke and Marv on a two stroke and, you know, uh, AP and those guys, so cool to see them hop on, you know, and and race those at a a really high level. Like I remember watching, uh, you know, Dungy on that thing. I was impressed because, um, you know, when else would you see the dude on a two stroke? And, um, you know, that was, that was back a few years ago in RV and, um, all those guys were doing it. And then, yeah, I, uh, one of the sickest events I've ever done for sure.
2: Is it like, what's makes it, obviously there's no turns, but like, what does it do to the way you have to ride? Like, is it, is it hard to, to get through? the lane there's like the intensity gnarly like what makes it different
3: yeah it's super high intensity like there's you ba- i mean i basically wasn't breathing the whole way down that straightaway because you you're thrown down and the the start was really important getting out of the gate and um getting over to on offs and the triples on the on those bikes was uh definitely like really key like consistency was key because we were struggling hitting some of those triples and things. So to be able to, you know, seat bounce. And then when it started raining, like I believe the right side was slower when it started raining. So then that came into effect. um, And you're, you know, you got to throw down on both. Um, Luckily, I was able to find some lines on that right side once it started raining and make it work too. But um, yeah, definitely like a completely different thing than like turns because... Also, you don't got to worry about a pile up in the first corner. It is yeah. literally just you and the bike and one other guy, but he's not even in your same lane. So that I really enjoyed that aspect of it because you you can really you know showcase what you got going and not have all of this other stuff going on around you.
2: Yeah, and it's interesting to see the kinds of guys that that it plays into their strengths, you know. And like Marv, I mean, he's won it. I think he's literally won every single time he's done it, but you know it's like what is he doing different you know you you can you probably wouldn't see it as obvious in an actual supercross race like you said with all the other variables with everything else but you put him on one lane straight rhythm section and he's just the best dude in the world he's just got some crazy little bit of technical difference that he's doing that's just like letting him be faster than everyone else and you just you wouldn't ever see that anywhere else
3: No, not at all. I mean, his, his timing and the momentum he was carrying all the way around that track was insane all the way through the track, not even around the track, you know? So, um, yeah, he was just pushing through and just doing little bits of stuff. And, you know, it's so funny with him is like, he doesn't look like he's going that fast as he's doing it, but he's just doing it so precisely. And I mean, yeah, like you said, I mean, he's won it like every time that he's done it. It's unreal.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, I've, I hope so bad that we get to see him at uh at Washougal in the two-stroke class. I mean, that would be so sick.
3: Yeah, 100%. It'd be so great for our sport. And, you know, we, we need some more dudes like that that, you know, aren't in the championship hunt. Like, you know, let's get, them, let's get them out there. Let's give the fans what they want and give them a show. Do you think that
2: it could be a bit of a bigger thing? Like, do you think that there's room for... For there to be a series within the series? Like, it's one round this year where, you know, the guys at Moto Memes kind of cooked up the concept or whatever and they've, they've thrown in for this one event. But do you think that there's a way that this is like a proof of concept and we go like, okay, there's six rounds next year or there's five rounds where we're doing this two-stroke deal, there's an extra payout for the guys, and then it just incentivizes. Dudes to be on a two stroke, to be at, let's say they're not at all the nationals. Like, could there be a two stroke national champion at the end of half of the nationals? Like, do you think that this could actually play into something like that?
3: You know, it'd be amazing. Like, let's hope that this Washugal round goes really well so that there can be something played up. I don't know if we'll see, you know, like the AMA or MX Sports ever do like a a championship inside of a championship just because, you know, uh, Suzuki, Kawasaki, Honda, they don't have two strokes. And I don't think that they would necessarily be stoked on that going down. Um, But hard to say. Like, it'd be fantastic for the sport. And you would hope to see something like that. But, you know, it, it takes a guy like, moto memes or somebody like that to get this stuff organized you know even if it's not you know the official like ama or MX sports yeah um doing it. it it takes somebody like moto memes to get this stuff done which is um I'm stoked he's doing it
2: yeah 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 same man well um well yeah I'm excited hopefully I'll uh hopefully I'll, I'll get to to make it there to watch it in person it's gonna be, I think it's gonna be a pretty sick pretty sick weekend I'm and I'm sure that there's probably gonna be a lot of fans that maybe weren't going to go to the nationals this year that are actually going to bring themselves out to watch that race
3: oh for sure everybody I know they were at the start of season they're like yeah we don't know if we're gonna go out there this year and now that the two-stroke thing's going I've got every single person like dude we're going out there we're gonna watch the two-stroke shred like who knows who might show up on two stroke and I'm like yeah let's freaking get everybody out here it's gonna be awesome so uh yeah I think it's gonna be huge I hope you're there and uh I hope you get to ride that next day too you'd be stoked
2: dude yeah I'm pretty pretty frothing for it actually before I go too, you got any uh you got any Glen Helen tips we're doing well vets at the end of the year so I'm chasing all the world all the Glen Helen tips that I can I know you did that thing on that that twisted 300 this year yeah. Oh, yeah you literally you won that you won You're your two-stroke world champ this year we actually probably should just talk about that
3: yeah yeah it was good um yeah this last year we went down there jamie at twisted had a uh a yz that i could ride and um you know i hadn't ridden glenn Helen in a very long time uh went out there and um yeah i mean the locals have that place so dialed i mean they're out there every tuesday and thursday um, getting her done. So I was like, I didn't really know what I was doing, got out there. And, um, yeah, the thing that I did, like I watched all the locals, like the lines that they were taking, like I kind of jumped in behind them, uh, just to see what I could learn. Um, and then, yeah, I had, uh, the suspension getting down those Hills. I had to, I had to actually stiffen it up quite a bit so that wouldn't kick me going down the Hills. And, um, but that race was good. Like Surratt was shredding on his CR252 stroke like he knows that place good he knows his bike good um and so I was I was worried and uh first moto I felt you know great got an okay start um kind of got in behind him didn't have enough time to make a pass and then second moto I hole shot and then he kind of um he worked his way into second so like we kind of reversed roles but I, I was feeling good like uh was able to win the overall so I was stoked
2: yeah so what makes Glen Helen such like a local knowledge spot do you think
3: uh just the weird lines in the weird hills like um just the breaking bumps like it gets really hard pack in weird spots like especially going up those hills because you'd think you'd just you know pin it but they've got those shelves so if you land wide open you'll like you'll almost do a full spin out um which is like it's tricky and then um the track looks nothing like the the nationals that you're used to seeing there um you know the nationals they'll have huge jumps huge huge berms and everything and then you know you'll show up for like you know a normal Glen Helen race or something and it's like it's pretty flat so that always throws me off because i'm like it doesn't look like the tv you know yeah um, yeah i mean they just have that that huge hill in the back and then it's like some s corners and stuff and so like it's uh in the locals like i said freaking have it dialed so um yeah it's tricky like that's a weird track what's the what's the technique
2: that you're running down those hills
3: um, I'm usually like uh, pretty high in the gears so that I don't have a lot of RPM going down the hills because um, the RPM, yeah. I mean, kind of works like a rear brake even on the two stroke, so it kicks. So I I was rocking the high gear and then kind of going way off to the sides, um, one side or the other, because the middle where everybody goes, it's getting all uh, breaking bumped out. But the problem is if you're running down the sides of that big old hill going down. And then you're kind of set up bad for the corner at the bottom, depending if they have it, you know, in an L shape or a U. Um, yeah. So you have to you have to think about that, too, because it's they switch that up. So, um, yeah, it's pretty much that like the place is actually pretty slippery. It always it always throws me off
2: yeah 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 we've been we've been just full training and like I got all my boys that I grew up racing with we're all gonna go and do it so I'm like trying to get the get the little bits of knowledge but I think it's one of those places you just got to go and do the motos on the Tuesdays and Thursdays with all the with all the other guys and kind of get used to it
3: yeah yep I'm with you there it's uh just like any track follow follow the guys that are there all the time and you'll get it down the most (laughs)
2: yeah yeah well hey dude I've uh, I've really enjoyed talking to you uh it's been it's been super cool to I guess hear hear a bit of the backstory and uh man I'm just stoked for you to be on the the Red Bull program there's uh there's definitely like a giant leap that guys take in their career when they um when you know they kind of get in with the the people that they've got there and um yeah I think that you've done so well to get to this point On your own and I think that now it's like the sky's the limit and I think we're all as motocross fans we're all very lucky that you know there's uh there's guys like you out there that have a bit of a different vision and uh and I also just think like the message that you've got as well of ride anything it doesn't have to be the newest bike it doesn't have to be the best bike you can have fun on all these things I I I genuinely think you're spreading an awesome message for people as well so
3: yeah thank you very much I appreciate it and uh yeah this is just a start I'm I'm excited to uh to do some really cool stuff and you know it's uh, a pretty sick opportunity and I'm not gonna waste it so um yeah heck of a time and I I really hope to see you at Washougal it's gonna be a blast dude I really hope I'm there as well <laughs> it's gonna be sick two strokes baby <laughs> all right mate we'll cut it there thanks so much yeah, hey uh, yeah, thank you very much. I uh I'm stoked. I appreciate this opportunity. No, nah, no, nah, definitely, man. I
2: hope hope you enjoyed the chat. We definitely covered a lot of stuff.
3: Yeah, yeah, for sure. And uh yeah, I'm I'm happy. Hopefully I wasn't uh yeah, too stuttery.
2: No, no, no. 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 It was sweet. Um what's your movements? Now, did you fly in just to do this or
3: so i am headed to the red bull athlete center Um, that's
2: right yeah
3: yeah i was uh i was my my flight got delayed or something so they're like hey you know hop on gypsy tails and i'm like oh heck yeah like that it's been a dream of mine to go on there so it worked out perfect
2: nah that's sick oh well man I, i hope you enjoyed it and um yeah definitely definitely do it again sometime for sure
3: yeah yeah that sounds great i uh i appreciate it very much awesome brother all right i'll let you get out of here
1: and yeah hopefully i'll see you next weekend
3: all right sounds like a plan to me